Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm Michael Bradley. And this week, we will be covering all Batman material released in July of 1940, which means our break time is over and we're back to two books again, with uh, Detective Comics number 42 and the return of Batman's self-titled book with Batman number two. I actually have a question right. before we get started with uh-huh. the Batman stuff. Goris Barloff? Really? Uh, <laughs> I can't it, I, I can't remember. Was that Batman or Captain America? Cause Captain either, America. Yeah. yeah. It, it was like Joe Simon and Jack Kirby read the Clayface story and said, oh yeah, we, we see your thinly veiled reference and <laughs> raise you an even more thinly veiled reference. So take right. that. Yeah. Man. And I and I recorded both those shows that same week, so I was just blown away by <laughs> by the coincidence of it all. It was weird. For those of you who don't listen to Mike's other podcast, um, him and John covered a story from I think it was Captain America Comics number three. Yeah. Where the villain was named Goris Barloff, obviously a uh, takeoff on Boris Karloff. So yeah. since we had just covered the Clayface story, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, that, I think those comics came about a year apart from each other, so I'm not sure yeah. if they were copying or if just Boris Karloff was really, really popular. And well, you mentioned, you mentioned, I think, last episode, wasn't it, that they had, they'd had one set in a castle, and then they had one where it was uh, Bucky getting hit in the head with a chair, mm-hmm. like with Robin. Yeah, so I don't, that's a lot of coincidence. I mean, it's small sure things, is. but it's just a lot of coincidences. That's kind yeah. of weird. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah, we anyway. got emails to read. So emails. Okay, so our first one is from Jared, and it reads: First off, another great episode, a great intro to one of the best concepts in the Batman universe outside of the Cape Crusader himself, in Robin, which gave the spark to the whole Bat Family concept in general. You were wondering if the candle ceremony happens in the with the Batgirls as well. Well, I'm not Stella, and he's talking about the the guy who does the fine podcast uh, from Batgirl to Oracle. Um, He goes on, but I do like the Batgirls too, so I know for certain that Barbara was initiated that way by Candlelight with Dick and Bruce in Batgirl year one, and Barbara officially handed down the mantle to Stephanie Brown with the candle in the first arc of the current, as of this writing, Batgirl series, which I believe is volume three. Um... As for how old Robin was at the time, I've always thought in these stories that he was around 8 or 9, the same age that Bruce was when his parents were killed. Of course, now they probably have Dick at around 13 to 15 to better try to get away from the enlisting a child soldier to fight the war on crime thing. As for why the candles, some light Googling... I wonder if he did that on purpose. Some light Googling tells me that it started in colleges back in the 1920s as initiations into fraternities or religious organizations, which would make sense to put it in there, having the two agree to become a team to battle against evil and injustice. Um, I also have to ask, where does that song that, where does that song that you have at the end come from? I never heard of it, but now I'm sure it's going to be stuck in my head for days. So, <laughs> you know, thanks for that. Our job is done. I'll let you answer the song question because you came up with that one. Um, I actually found it on YouTube doing just random searches for different Batman and Robin related videos. But it's a it's a novelty song by a group called the Mariettes. It came out in the sixties. They had like an entire album of Batman related novelty songs. 
So we'll probably use more in the future. <laughs> yeah. It was during the, you know, Batmania craze when the TV mm. show was at its highest. And... Um, but thanks for answering the question about the, you know, Batgirls and their their candle initiations. Yeah. We actually did ask Stella, who did answer us, and then I, I guess I forgot to, or we forgot to talk about that. So thanks, Stella, also. But, um, yeah, I just started reading Batgirl Volume 3, and sure enough, Barbara initiates Stephanie with that same idea. So cool. that's kind of cool. Our next email comes from Trent, and it's a follow-up to an email that we read back in episode, I think it was 11, about the location of Gotham City. And uh, Trent writes, Hi, Mike and Mike. I found the location of Gotham City in the DC database and the DC Atlas. Yes, the DC Atlas. The database has the map which shows Gotham City in New Jersey in Metropolis and Delaware. However, the database also says Metropolis is in New York. Oh, well, maybe the reboot will clear all this up. Love the show, Trent. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. If anything, it'll probably just make it more confusing. Yeah. So. I think I kind of like the idea that you just don't know where it is, you know, personally. Like. Yeah, it's just kind of ambiguous. You have a ballpark idea that Gotham and Metropolis are near each other because they've had train rides back and forth, right. but that's mm-hmm. about all you need to know. Um, so next up, we have an email from Gary Adams which I think is a first. And he says, Hey, my name's Gary. I live in Kentucky. And I'm not sure which Michael it is, but the one who has an accent. I thank, <laughs> you, for, thank you for giving people with country accents some intellectual points. I assume he's talking about me. Um, no, I think he means me. Yeah. Yes, yes. I try to stifle it when I'm podcasting. I never even realized I had an accent until I started podcasting. And then I listen to my own show and it, I really hear it. So I try to try to uh, stifle it a little bit, but it, it doesn't always work. Well, you're surrounded by people who talk just like you, so... Yeah, I well, guess, yeah. yeah. You don't have an accent. Um, uh, anyway, he goes on, I can't stand those stereotypes. Even though some are true, they wouldn't be stereotypes if they weren't true on occasion. They're not all true. I'm from southeastern Kentucky, and I have all my teeth, I wear shoes, I don't have barbed wire tattoos, and I don't do meth. So again, thank you. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, Mike does all those things. But anyway, on a serious note... (laughs) Now? Come on. On a serious note, I'm really enjoying your podcast. What I'm really thankful for is that you guys know enough about Batman, but you're not Batman fanboys, so there's not any biased feelings towards the character. Plus, I'm somewhat new to the comics. Been reading around two years or more. And since you guys aren't huge Bat fans, I don't feel like a idiot if I don't always know origins and history on characters and what issues this and that happened in. So it's cool. I love the whole setup. Look forward to many, many more episodes. Keep up the good work, guys. Help pass the, helps pass the time at work. Gary. Cool. And Gary, I am in southern Indiana, so you're not too far from me. Um, so it's, it's nice to hear somebody either podcasting or listening to the show that's from the same area because it seems like most people that do podcasts are either from the deep south or out west. So It's kind of weird. This is like the third email in a row that we've got where they're they're calling out our lack of Batman fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if we're start we're like saying things wrong now and it's, it's starting to get noticeable <laughs> or something because you know for I the first know. first they're not 14... pointing out things we said wrong so I don't know. Yeah, we got away with it for 14 episodes anyway. <laughs> and our uh, next email comes from Andy Austin. This was in reply to episode 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah, episode 14 where we covered. Batman number one and Detective Comics number 
39, I think it was. Uh, but Andy writes, Mike Squared, let me start by saying how great your podcast is. I love the old school Batman, and I've had lots of fun following along your along with your commentary with my trusty copy of The Batman Chronicles Volume 1. It's been a blast. Now, about your most recent episode pertaining to the release of Batman Number 1. It sort of sucked. <laughs> Why? First of all, I think it was a bit too long. Three hours is a long time to sit and listen about anything, even if it's about the mysterious and totally awesome Batman. I personally like a 60 to 90 minute podcast, but that's just me. Secondly, I didn't enjoy all the extra guest hosts. While it's fun to hear other guys on the show, four extra people eats up a lot of time, and a few of your hosts were downright annoying. You may or may not know to whom I refer. Lastly, talking about the other stories in the various issues of Detective, Slam Bradley, Crimson Avenger, etc., is interesting, but I want to hear about Batman. And with more and more stuff to cover in the future, you guys shouldn't waste too much time on other characters. It is a Batman podcast, after all. I didn't mean to bash. I, I just really love what you dudes have done so far, and I want to hear more. Keep up the good work and ditch the bad. Yours for a bigger and better thrill, Batfan. Wow, our first, <laughs> our first complaint. Yeah, um, Andy, I'm glad you're enjoying the show, and I'm, but I'm sorry that episode 14 was, you know, less enjoyable. Uh, we invited Don, Josh, and John because they're our friends and, you know, big Batman fans to boot, especially. Don and Josh, um, I think we all had fun recording. I know Mike and I did, yep. and it's definitely possible that they'll be back at some point. Maybe not all together, but um, a return is definitely uh, in the cards at some point, so sorry. Um, I agree with the length, I mean, um, but this was kind of a special occasion. It was our first guest stars, and it was the first time we talked about Batman's you know, very first book. Right. So I wasn't... So upset with it. We certainly aren't planning to do three plus hours every episode. No. Um, and we we talked about the length of the show back when we were not in pertaining to that episode, but when we were planning it, and we kind of decided that we would just let it go and see what happened because mm -hmm. you know, so it's easy to stop the podcast and come back later if you need to. So I mean, right now we at least when we first started, we were averaging about an hour a story, mm -hmm. and their stories are just going to get more and more with each passing month that we cover so yeah when we get into you know having three books it's going to be almost impossible i think to cover everything the way we want to cover it within and then, an hour and then the but, serial and then the newspapers right. and mm -hmm. his his radio guest appearances so we might have to rechange the format at that point but for now we're just going to keep going and see what happens but still andy thanks for writing in we, we i mean we do appreciate the feedback and we hope you'll keep listening even to the parts that you don't like so <laughs> Yeah. So the first iTunes review is from CGN17, and he writes, "Love this podcast. Let's me catch up, catch up with over 70 years of the greatest superhero as he evolved." Thanks, Mike Squared. Keep it going. And five stars. Awesome. And the next comes from Nicholas Allison, and he writes, "This is a huge task that you are that you all are undertaking, and I am with you all the way." I loved the year reviews you did for 1939, and I hope you keep up with that every year. I am a big history buff and find that, a, find that to be a great addition to the program. It will be nice to see how Batman, Robin, and all the other Gotham City residents grow and change over the years. Thank you for doing this for all of us Batman fans out there. And five more stars. Cool. So now we got now we got two people who can write our history <laughs> right. section. So I don't have to. Oh. So how many is that now? Eight reviews or? 
Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's eleven. Wow. Wow. One more to go and we'll retire. Cool. <laughs> okay, not really. But one more to go and we'll change the number and bug you guys some more. All right. Yes. Exactly. Uh, all right. So should we get to the heart of the matter? I think so. Uh, first up, we have Detective Comics number 42, which had a cover date of August 1940 and was released approximately July 4th of 1940. So we were... 4th of July. Yeah, we were a couple weeks off on this one. Um, cover price, 10 cents. Editor, the trusty Whitney Ellsworth. Uh, the cover had pencils by Bob Kane and inks by Jerry Robinson. And it's got Robin tackling a gun-wielding thug by his legs while a very happy-looking Batman, or his head anyway, kind of looms in the background. I appreciate what they were going for here, but I, it's not quite working for me. Nah, it's a little... Their, well, Batman, their, their covers have been getting less and less detailed, it yeah. seems like to me. I don't know if they're just getting under more and more pressure to to produce now. or It could be, yeah. Well, with, you know, uh, eight more stories a month, or every other month. I mean, if you compare this looming Batman head to our favorite cover of last year, mm-hmm. um, which number now? 31. Number 31, yeah. Right. I mean, there's a world of difference. Right, yeah. You can... If you or was it thirty three? It was thirty one. You were right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But if you compare, if you compare this head to that head, you can also see how much Batman's look has evolved in just a year. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Inside, we have a Batman story called "The Case of the Prophetic Pictures," thirteen pages. It was scripted by Bill Finger with pencils by Bob Kane, inks by Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, and letters by Jerry Robinson. And it starts out with one of those nice captions again, which read, When Bruce Wayne, the Batman, went to Mr. Wiley's fashionable party and met Ontal, the artist, little did he realize that he was soon to plunge into the depths of a fantastic mystery. When Ontal painted, someone died. How? Why? This was the puzzle of the case of the prophetic pictures. At the home of Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, Dick watches Bruce get dressed up as... Bruce explains to him he is off to a party thrown by the socially eminent Mr. Wiley, an art collector who wants to show off his latest artistic discovery. At the party, Mr. Wiley introduces Bruce to the artist, Antal, and his agent, Mr. Bleak, who explains to Bruce that Mr. Wiley intends to make Antal the most fashionable society portrait painter. As they make with the introductions, however, a man named Mikoff interrupts their conversation, threatening to kill Antal for what he did to his sister. After Mikoff leaves, Antal explains to the group that he once dated Mikoff's sister and that after he broke up with her, she committed suicide, which Mikoff blames Antal for. Sometime later, as Bruce strolls on the terrace, he hears a man named Dr. Drake shouting at Antal to stay away from his wife or else. Having enough fun for one evening, Bruce returns home and reports to the sleeping Dick Grayson the goings-on of the evening and his suspicion that something bad will happen soon, per usual. And so it does, for Antal's fame grows with each painted portrait. At the Van Guild home, his butler discovers that a knife has been plunged into his master's portrait, and the very next day, Van Guild himself is found in his chair, dead 
a knife plunged into his chest, just like his picture. At the home of Carmen Largo, the opera singer, a dart is discovered sticking into her portrait's neck. And the next night, while performing at the opera, her song is cut short as a dart pierces her throat. Word of the prophetic portrait murders travels fast, and the next day, another patron of Antal's work, a Mr. Warren, finds his portrait now has a rope around its neck. He calls the police, frightened that he will be murdered like the others, and they agree to station some men outside his house. Uh, meanwhile, Bruce Wayne decides that the totally awesome Batman should help out with security and suits up, making his way to Mr. Warren's home by way of his proto-Batmobile and scaling up the side of the building to Warren's apartment with the help of his suction pads. Uh, but after climbing through the window and entering the apartment, he discovers he is too late to save Mr. Warren, who is hanging by a rope in his living room, just as his portrait prophesied. Wow, say that two times fast. Um, and before Batman can gather his wits, the police who have been guarding Mr. Warren's front door, decide to check in on their charge and walk in on the scene. Immediately assuming Batman is the killer, the police attempt to arrest him, but Batman does not cooperate and instead leaps up to the chandelier and swings over them to the second level of the large duplex. As the police charge upstairs after him, Batman grabs a huge vase and rolls it down the stairs, knocking them over like pins. He then slides down the, the stair railing, knocking them over again with his own feet and escaping out the window. A few days later, as Bruce Wayne sits chatting with his friend, Police Commissioner Gordon, the door bursts open, and the portrait artist, Antal, enters, demanding that Gordon and his men do something to stop these murders, as people have now stopped buying his paintings for fear of being the next victim. Commissioner Gordon asks Antal if he has any enemies, so Antal makes a list. List. Mikoff, the artist, who blames him for his sister's suicide. Mr. Drake, who thinks Antal is making moves on his wife. Or maybe Mr. Bleak, his former agent he just recently decided to fire. As Gordon and Antal uh, mull over the suspects, Antal's patron, Mr. Wiley, enters the office, sporting a sling. He, he explains to the everyone in the room that he discovered bullet holes in his portrait, but kept it to himself and was later attacked by the killer, but managed to escape with just a flesh wound. Gordon suggests that he plant men outside of Wiley's door, but before Wiley can remind him that didn't work out so well for Mr. Warren, another man enters Gordon's office, a Mr. Travers, who shows everybody an arrow he found in his own portrait. Gordon offers him protection, but Travers barks that he can save himself and will take a cruise on his friend's yacht. That very night, Batman goes to investigate some bank statements and sends Robin out to sea to protect Travers. Arriving at Travers' friend's yacht by way of proto-batboat, Robin discovers the killer, who's wearing a yellow beret, a purple raincoat, and who has a, gr a green skull for a face, and is about to shoot an arrow into the back of the oblivious Travers' head. But Robin draws a sling and quickly deflects the killer's arrow with a steel pellet. Enraged, the killer strikes Robin in the head with his bow, and as Robin stumbles back, fires a shot at the boy Wonder. But Robin comes to his senses just in time to dodge the arrow, which pins his cape to the wall. As Robin frees himself, the killer jumps into his getaway boat and gets away. Uh, later that evening, Batman returns home from his investigation and informs Dick that he knows who the killer is, but that he can't prove it just yet. The next day, Batman shocks Dick by telling him that, instead of working on the murder case, Bruce is going to commission a portrait of himself from Antal. Antal is equally shocked at the request, as nobody has been buying his portraits anymore, but Bruce explains that the, to the artist that he is very vain and his favorite pastime is admiring himself. After hanging his newly commissioned portrait over his mantle back at home, the next day Bruce and Dick discover bullet holes peppered over the painted Bruce's face. Bruce then shocks Dick again 
by telling him he is going to do nothing about it but sit in his favorite chair and smoke his pipe. That night, a shadowy figure silently enters the Wayne Library, stealthily, with silencer poised. He makes his way to the unsuspecting man, then, leveling his revolver at Bruce's head, fires point-blank. But before he can relish his kill, the Batman sprints into the room, knocking the killer down with a right hook. But the killer has some fight left, and lunges at the Batman, grabbing him by his throat as he slams him into a table. But Batman pushes the killer up and over with his muscular legs, and tries his right hook again, this time knocking the killer out cold. Batman then pauses to check on Dick, who is secretly acting as a puppeteer for a fake Bruce Wayne, hiding underneath the life-size decoy and moving its arms, while being short enough that when the killer shot the dummy in the head, Dick would be unharmed. Turning back to the killer, Batman unmasks him, and he is revealed to be Mr. Wily. Batman then expl- explains to Dick that, after examining Wily's books, he discovered that he was in serious debt, and that he had brought up many of Antal's paintings on a trip in Europe for very cheap because Antal was not well known. Batman then surmises that Wiley came up with the prophetic murders to increase interest and desire in Antal's paintings, which would make his collection more valuable, and that Wiley also shot himself in the arm to divert suspicion. Wiley admits to all of Batman's conclusions, but then decides that prison is not for him, and suddenly pushes Batman aside, reaches down to grab his gun from the floor, and shoots himself in the head. Dick and Batman decides it's probably for the best, and then Batman suggests they call the police and explain how Bruce Wayne's life was saved by the Batman. The end. <laughs> so everybody get all that? <laughs> oh, Man, that was we, complicated. Yeah. We start off with a very creepy splash page. Mm-hmm. Three-quarters page splash, I guess. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, we've been kind of getting a lot of uh, awesome back backdrops lately for our splash pages, and this one mm-hmm. doesn't really have one, but I like the... It's a it's a cool idea. It's got the the this green skull painting Batman about to be killed. And um, sometimes the jargon in these older comics leaves me wondering what in the world they're talking about. Yeah. Which is just the the you know the fact that we're reading them seventy years later. But <laughs> Dick's uh, Bruce is getting dressed, and Dick says, "Boy, you sure are putting on the dog tonight." Yeah. I had no idea what that phrase meant, so I had to actually look it up, and apparently it means that you're getting dressed up very stylishly, like putting on the Ritz uh-huh. is a more contemporary phrase. Yeah. So I learned something from a comic book. Yeah, that, that does happen once every once in a while for me too. And I just, you know, blow through it or just assume what they're talking about or something. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but cool that Bruce Wayne is being Bruce Wayne. Yes. Um, we haven't really – I had a note. We haven't really seen too much of him, you know, as of Bruce as Bruce. It's mostly been just his interactions with Commissioner Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen a lot of Bruce, but it's usually been when he's kind of in the mindset of Batman, just wearing yeah. Bruce's clothes. So, yeah, I liked seeing Bruce interacting with the people at the party and getting their uh, viewpoint of who Bruce Wayne is. Yeah, because even when he's talking to Gordon, it's always in some way to get information for Batman. So Right. This is the first time we've seen him just go out for the sake of going out and and what people think of him, which apparently is not good stuff. But no, uh, he, there was a lot of comments about how he's lazy and useless and etc. So, but that you know, we already kind of knew that. That's a good secret identity. He's a wastrel playboy. Just like kind of like Superman to me. It's like, and maybe this is just post-crisis, but it, you know, Batman has three identities to me. He's got. You know, Batman, 
where he, you know, obviously he puts on the scare um, for the criminals, or in this case, the puns, I guess. Um, then we got Bruce Lane, the, the socialite who goes out and acts lazy, or I don't know, sometimes he runs his company, sometimes he doesn't, but either way, he, you know, acts aloof and lazy and like a womanizer. And yes. A guy who's always drinking and stuff like that. And then you got, I think, probably the real Bruce Wayne, which is the guy who hangs out in the Batcave with Alfred and works on cases and stuff like that, which we don't see at all because there's no real Batcave. Or Alfred. Uh, or Alfred. I mean, we got Robin and, or we got Bruce and Dick these days, but that's very brief stuff. They're just, you know, always reading a paper and then going off to do their thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bruce's expression in panel two is pretty hilarious. Yeah. As they slam him. Yeah. He's got like kind of a, uh, I don't even know how you would describe it, like a, a half-crooked smile, sort of, but it's... Kind of a yeah-whatever look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah-whatever, I know that I'm really awesome, and you're not. So this scene also has more, you know, with, what's his name, Mikoff? The, the crazy at, dude? Yeah, the scene at the party. It has more, you know, like we've been seeing in all these other stories, where there's like this scene that where everybody has to come out of the woodwork and... And be a possible murder suspect. Yeah, he's finger again spends a whole page lining up the suspects. But um, it seemed this one seemed a little more or a little less. Natural. Yeah, a little more natural to me. Yeah. Maybe just because well, it was a party. Right. It, we have Bruce meeting people at a party, so it seems a little less forced. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we could just be getting used to it too. I don't right. know. But. It's probably that. Yeah. But we yeah. do have Bruce Wayne smoking cigarettes in this scene. Ah. On, that's actually on the next page, page three. Maybe he yeah. uh, does that at parties and he only does the pipe at night or something. <laughs> it could be, yeah. He pulls out the pipe by the end of the story. So Cigarettes are cooler. I don't know. Maybe pipes are cooler. I can't decide. Pipes seem old to me, like you're you know, retired or something. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, so I don't understand the – speaking of page three here, I maybe I'm reading this wrong. I don't get it. But – there's people behind a bush arguing that Bruce Wayne comes across. And it says, but Mr. Ryder, you are mistaken, you. And then Mr. Ryder says, you heard me. Stay away from my wife. And then the guy pops out of the bush and Bruce says, oh, look, it's Mr. Drake. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even pick up on that. I saw that in your notes and I didn't pick up on it until you pointed it out. But he, he does call him by a different name. So they just forgot one who panel he... later. So yeah, <laughs> they just forgot who they said or something. Yeah, that's funny. We have Bruce and Dick uh, back later that evening, back at home, mm-hmm. and Bruce says that something will happen soon. Mm-hmm. But then it takes him several days and two murders and the threat of a third before he actually does anything. Yep. Once Which, again. Again, yeah. I... And I'm wondering, um, like in this particular case, the. Something will happen soon. At this point, when he says that anyway, nothing has happened. And I don't know as right. Batman. I don't know as Batman what he would do other than trail around everybody who gets in an argument. You know. Well, right. Uh, yeah, that, that I don't have a problem with. But. But then, yeah, you're right. They do. There's all these panel after panel of deaths before he gets in on it. But I think part of that has to just go back to, um, you know, there's only so many pages and. Yeah. And they can't do a, a story where he investigates each and every murder. Because it would yeah, just take up too much. Yeah, I understand that too. You know, it's like they kind of have to build it up somehow. But I agree with you, though. It, it does seem like, like once again, he's he's not as proactive as we're used to. But um, and also speaking of that same, I don't know. I don't want to focus on this too often. But the this scene where he's telling Dick that something bad is going to happen soon. It's later that evening. He comes home and he's like in Dick's room 
and Dick is sleeping, and he's getting undressed, like, what, is he going to sleep with him or what? I don't know. So it's just awkward, and we're going to get a lot more of that. It's going to get a lot worse than this, too. I mean, I've seen stuff. Um, But it just – it bothers me in the sense that I don't understand what they were going for. Like, this wasn't cool in 1940 either, so – No, but in 1940, their minds didn't automatically go to child molestation. I know. It was – I mean, I hate to say it was a more innocent time. But yeah, it was. Society wasn't as perverted as it is today, you know. <laughs> That's right. So I mean, they could have the story about the Joker's boner and not. <laughs> right. You know. They're not as scarred as we right. are, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So let's like we can all have our nice little third grade laugh over it and move on. But. Yeah, I guess. Awkward. Okay, so what do you think of the this whole? scenario where you know a painting gets a dagger in it and the next day the guy's dead with a dagger that kind of stuff i like it for a comic book yeah if in real life it i don't think it would work too much you're better off just killing the person and moving on i think but right you know no use predicting Mm -hmm. of course he was trying to raise money he was trying to involve the paintings right right trying to involve the artist the artist so yeah i mean i for a comic book, it's fine. Yeah, it's very Joker, very like uh, like the last two Joker stories where mm-hmm. he announces what he's going to do ahead of time and creates a panic and right and pulls it off just to make it more horrifying. So over on page four, we have um, Finger Bill Finger using having Batman use these suction pads to scale yes. the building. Yep. And these were both these were introduced back in Detective Comics number twenty nine, which was written by Gardner Fox. And I like seeing Finger introduce these things that Fox wrote into the stories. Mm-hmm. Because I think it would have been very easy for him to just ignore those. Yeah. And, you know, do something else. So I don't know if he was consciously taking things from those stories and bringing them in to give it a sense of continuity. or. Yeah, and actually we didn't even... Not only were they introduced in Detective 29, that was the last time we saw him, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's even been a while in there. Cause he, yeah, he's been using his rope a lot to climb things, um. so... But you notice that you don't actually see them, so that's really all finger there, I think, just saying that that's what he's using to climb up. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Which is even better. I mean, it's not even Bob Kane trying to work it in or anything. Right. Um, Sorry. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad he's using some of those Fox ideas too, because that was some of the best stuff we got from Fox was all the gadgets and the mm-hmm. right and the vehicles and stuff. So the, the 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 things he added were good, but the stories were right. Right. Let's ignore those, but. Um, but uh, I was curious about Batman's human fly remark. And I know there were a couple comic book characters named that, but it turns out those characters were introduced long after this was published. Mm. But there were two stuntmen prior to this story who got the nickname. There was a Harry Gardner and a George Polly, and both got the nickname um, and gained fame from their habit of climbing buildings without any special equipment. Hmm. So that's a kind of a cultural reference from the time. Yeah, that's cool. And just think, Stanley almost named Spider-Man Flyman. Oh yeah? No, I just made that up. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop um, confusing the DC boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first panel on page five looks like one of those kind of rush jobs. Yeah. And there's very little detail to speak of, and Batman's just a big silhouette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this whole page we haven't. I haven't really been noticing a lot of swiping going on since Robinson came in. 
um, here or there, but this whole page is just like, it just seems like one big reuse to me. Yeah. Uh, with the way he opens the windows and, you know, tilts his head to discover the body and even the chandelier jumping a little bit. Yeah. Um, I just wonder what their workload was like because... Well, they're doing... They're doing five stories every... What is this? Batman's coming out every three months at this point? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's quarterly. Yeah. So, but they must be doing them ahead of time. So they're probably, yeah, they're probably getting to where they're going to want to start bringing in more people pretty soon, right. I think. Well, so right now we've just got Kane and then Robinson and Rousseau. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when when they when Batman goes bi-monthly and they bring in World's Finest, that yeah, I would expect to see more artists come in. And then the newspaper strip, and I think at that point Bob Kane abandons the comic altogether to do the newspaper. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. The uh, speaking of, um, well, I guess it's not art, art wise, but it says like a huge bat. The Batman moves up the sheer face of the building. <laughs> well, a, a bat would fly, yeah. not climb. Yeah, probably. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Batman seems very surprised that the police suspect him of being a criminal. Yeah. And that doesn't jibe at all with what we've seen in the story still now. Surely you don't believe I had something to do with this. Right, right. But the policeman's thought balloon is possibly consistent, since we've seen just the regular people in the street being very Mm pro-Batman. But the police as a whole have been fairly anti-Batman, and I don't know why he would be so shocked when they – that they think he's a killer when they find him in a room with a dead body. Yeah, he also says, I've always worked on the side of the law. Which is complete. Except for those times I toss guys off buildings. Yeah, Yeah. Right, right. But I like that, you know, half the guys want to take him down and the other half kind of believe him, so that's interesting. Yeah. We haven't gotten too much lately about Commissioner Gordon's perspective on the Batman. No, really, we haven't. I think the last time we heard something, he was very anti-Batman. Right. Interesting to see when that changes. Uh, But the police are getting a little smarter as they try to block Batman in and and rush him. Mm -hmm. Rather than just everyone going after him at one time. It doesn't really do him a lot of good, but at least they're trying. Yeah. Yeah, can't stop Batman. It's a cool fight, other than the dialogue. Yeah, I I can accept Batman sliding down the banister, but I can't accept Batman yelling, Yippee! as he does it. (laughs) Yeah, that's pushing it, huh? I'm starting to get used to his, you know, some of his uh, more campy stuff. Sometimes it's actually pretty funny, and we'll get to that later in this episode tonight, I think. But sometimes it still makes me cringe. Sometimes it's pretty clever. But Yippie's no good ever for Batman, really. No. I like that Kane is using different page layouts rather than the strict eight-panel grid that a lot of the stories do. Mm-hmm. But some of them really don't let your eye flow like they're supposed to. Like on this one, I read the panel in the upper left, and then my eye went down. Oh. Where he's sliding on the banister and then over. So I was a little confused, and I see now that they're numbered. But yes. still, it's a pain to break from reading the story to look at the number... And then go back to read. That, that's a pain. And well, I I agree with you. It, it confused the heck out of me a couple times, and then I I think I only noticed the numbering by the, like the fifth story. Okay. That we cover tonight. So by then it was too late anyway. But yeah, those numbers are awfully handy. Yeah. And I don't want that to sound overly critical. I mean, for all intents and purposes, the medium is still new at this point, so it's understandable they don't have all the techniques down. But still, it's just I wanted to point it out. And you know, it's even funnier is the numbering doesn't work because 
I'm just looking at it right now. It goes from one, two, three, four. The next one is six. The one, <laughs> after, the one after that has no number, and then the next one is seven. So that still doesn't really help. No, that's a that's a five, and then the six oh. is in the lower left of the panel. It's like part. It, it looks almost like part of the bumper or the tire on the car. Is that a five? Wow. Okay, I just can't read it very well. It looks yeah, like it's, six to me. Well, the uh, the bottom of the loop is kind of up a little high so it yeah it looks kind of like a six but it's a five and then we have seven at the end so. yeah yeah well it's a cool idea anyway so page seven like by the time i got to page seven i started feeling like maybe the story is going on too long now <laughs> and i don't know if that's mm-hmm. good, you know I don't, that's probably not a good thing for the story if i if i think it should be over already but um yeah then we have another scene where it's like we have to introduce more people that could be the bad guy and it's like almost comical at this point because there's just all these people walking in and out of – or walking into Commissioner Gordon's office all at the same time. Who did they introduce? Well, now we got Wiley is – or Wiley's a suspect. Not a, he's not a suspect. He's a – oh, I don't know. They introduced um, his agent for one, I guess. That was new. Uh, Antal's agent was apparently fired. Oh, okay. I guess they didn't introduce more suspects, but we got more victims or potential victims. All running in the door. We got Wiley and Mr. Travers. Travers, yeah. It is uh, kind of funny that all these people just show up right when Bruce Wayne is there. Yeah, yeah. It happened back in the uh, World's Fair comic as well. It's a very busy office. But even yeah. like even Bruce thinks it's funny. <laughs> he says, look like this office is the main highway. <laughs> but this is, um, this is a few days later. And Bruce has still done nothing, even though that there's been three murders, mm-hmm. you know. But. Yep. Yep. And now we're gonna go onto a, we're gonna get derailed and go onto this boat scene. Which, see, that's why I kind of feel like. Well, I don't when know. your life is in danger, taking a cruise is always the answer. Right. Right. I guess. And you know, it's more important to, for Batman to do bank statements apparently than. <sighs> yes. Yes. He he sends Robin headfirst into danger once again. And that's just them again. I think trying to show off their new creation and yeah, it's a I don't know. But, but every time they do that, it makes Batman look like an idiot. So, or yeah, and he says he's like, "Remember, Robin, a man's life is in your hands, and you yeah. could die." But no pressure, just pointing it out. Like, like you can't look at, can't you look at bank statements after you say the yeah. guy at the yeah? End? How long does that take? Don't you only sleep three hours a day or something? That's what I heard. <laughs> Uh, um, we, see, we see Robin clipping arrows out of the air with a slingshot. Yeah. And, and I looked this up. Arrows will move anywhere between 150 and 350 feet per second. And Robin's knocking them out of the air with a slingshot. And the guy was standing like right next to his right. victim, too. Yeah. So that's how awesome Robin is, everybody. <laughs> I guess. Um, I like the killer. I mean, I made fun of the beret, but... I do like the green skull thing. Um, he the, looks pretty neat. The green skull is fine. The trench coat and the beret are goofy. Yeah. I, I much prefer the look on the splash page with the robe. Mm-hmm. It was more like death. Yeah. Yep. They should have stuck with that. But um, yeah. I bet this guy's thinking, you know, why did I put an arrow in that guy's painting? I should have just shot it. It would have been a lot. <laughs> would have been a lot easier. This whole Robin scene just feels shoehorned in. Yeah, exactly. Like they wanted Robin to do something, mm-hmm. so they just wrote him into the scene instead of Batman. 
Yeah. Which could be why we're we're seeing Robin put in these situations. Like you said, I guess you know they need to show off their new boy wonder. But mm-hmm. well, and I also just feel like yeah, I don't know. I guess it pertains to the story, but it just seems like the story just keeps going on and on. And now we're on a boat. <laughs> I don't know. It's like oh, let's yeah. just get back to the let's just solve this painting problem already. Right. You know? uh, oh, but you notice when we get back to the house and Batman comes back, he doesn't ask Dick how things went on the boat. No, he doesn't. He just goes right into the, the the bank statements and what he found. Dick's like, "Oh, should I tell him that the guy died? Nah, I'll just <laughs> I'll just sit here." Maybe he won't ask. Maybe he won't Maybe ask. Won't ask. Yeah. Uh, Batman says he he makes the common mistake of money is the root of all evil, which that's not what the the verse is. It's the love of money, but. Yep. I think you know Finger and Kane. I think we're both Jewish, so I guess I can understand that they would get that wrong. But. <laughs> right. This All whole right. Uh, business with Bruce not telling Dick any of his plan as far as commissioning this or who the killer is, and then he commissions yeah. this, this painting and all that—that's obviously a storytelling device to. Well, yeah, keep, yeah, but it keep, it comes off. Yeah. It comes off as uh, Bruce just like screwing around with Dick, you know. Right. Especially when what happens in the next few pages. Mm-hmm. It, I think it, we're going to get more of that, I'm pretty sure, because... Yeah, until they figure out how to write around right. Dick being our point-of-view character. But, um, And Dick is very surprised when Batman says they're just going to sit there and do nothing. And right. Bruce always does, so... <laughs> hey, why are you surprised? Uh, I love all the stuff where, where he's sitting, Bruce is sitting and being painted and... He just talks about how incredibly vain he is and how he likes to look at himself in the mirror. And yeah. That's all. That's really cool stuff because, again, this is like the first time we're getting the act. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's, it's funny. I, it would be hilarious, though, if this painting ended up in the Batcave. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It's one of the trophies. Yeah. Uh, Superman comes over and, um, Bruce, why do you have a four-foot painting of... Bruce Wayne's head in your cave there. With, with bullet holes in the forehead, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, at least that would give them a reason to hate each other post-crisis, because Superman thinks that Batman has some crazy obsession with Bruce Wayne, then. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Jeff Johns will write that into the new Justice League series. Oh, yeah, don't give him any ideas. So, page 11, first mention of the of a Wayne library. I don't know if that's... yes. I don't know if that's prominent in future stories, but at least it suggests that his house is not like, you know, a condo or something. Right. Because before now, we haven't really gotten too much information about where he lives. I mean, it could be an apartment or a townhouse or a condo, but those wouldn't have a spacious library like this. So. Yeah. Um, so I know you're going to hate the dummy, right? I hate the dummy with a fiery passion. <laughs> I was reading that thinking, he's going to hate that dummy. Um yeah, it, um, it does make we'll, no sense. We'll but. get into it on in the next page. I have a couple more notes before then. Uh, Batman charges out of the closet, and the villain, you know, who are you? I'm Batman. I think that's the first one of those exchanges that we've had, isn't it? Does he say, I'm Batman? Well, he says, what's he his says, name? I don't even remember anymore. Wiley? Wiley said, says, who are you? And then two panels later, he says, the Batman, at your service. Which oh. is very Zorro, but... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, he doesn't say I'm Batman, but it's a long. Well, I was just reading the my cards, sir, but I didn't I didn't keep going after that. So yeah, oh, okay. you're right. He does say the Batman. Yeah, that is the first time. Who are you? He doesn't know who he is. Come on. <laughs> He's the totally awesome Batman. Everybody knows who Batman is. 
whatever. But I like the coloring in this whole scene. It's kind of yeah. It's all orange. It's like they're orange, reds. Yeah. yeah. It's that sunset. Kind of neat for a golden age story. Was it like that in the original? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. But we have a nice martial arts move here with Batman flipping Wily over the table using yeah. his own momentum, which yeah. I liked. Yep. Yep. Go I ahead. liked his quip here too, being number one in the hit parade. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Batman's quips are okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're pretty good. Um, and that last panel, his ears look very much like, I guess, mm-hmm. spades or whatever you you want to call yeah. them. What they're going right. to be pretty soon. Right. Or like a cat, I guess. Or, or a real bat. Or a real bat. Yeah. Right. But yeah, the dummy. It, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I mean, where the heck did Batman get a wearable, lifelike dummy of himself? Was it specially made, or was it just lying around the the the, the house there, or you know, was it made that afternoon? And how did he get it on such short notice? That's the first problem I have with it. And then, if this was a dummy, then how was he lighting a pipe back on the previous page? Okay, I got an answer for that one. Okay. I got an answer for both of them, but one of them is a real answer and one of them is a fake answer. You want me to go through the rest of my problems with it before you answer those? or? Okay, go ahead. I'll take them one at a time. All right. Go ahead. And this this goes back to Batman being a jerk, but why did he let Wiley shoot the dummy when Dick was inside, when it could have potentially severely injured Dick if not killed him outright? Mm-hmm. Why not jump Wiley before he shoots? And if Wiley shot the dummy, why wasn't the dummy's head blown to pieces? He points the gun right at the the temple of the dummy, or the back of the the back of the skull rather. Yeah. So it should have blown a big hole in the back of the head. And then I wonder how much Bruce explained to Dick about why he had to sit in the chair wearing a big dummy puppet. You know, here Dick, go sit there and wear this dummy that looks like me, and just wait for someone to sneak in and shoot at you. They'll they'll think it's me. Honest. It's just insane. So. Okay. So. Explain away. Uh, I think it's pretty weird too. But why he has a dummy is he created a life-size copy of himself while he was designing his costume, so that he could dress the dummy up and see what it looked like from you know a criminal's point of view or something. You know, <laughs> complete with complete with facial you know you know likeness so that he could see uh-huh. like how the cow covered his face. So there, that's that. Okay. Um, how the arms and stuff moved. It says that Robin was like a puppeteer, so I assume. He was moving his arms, I guess, right. to, to pretend light a cigar. He's not actually lighting it. It just looks like he's lighting it. But to light a pipe, don't you have to – isn't it like lighting a cigarette? You just can't hold the match up there and light it. You actually have to inhale. But there's, there's no lighting. He's not inhaling. He's, it's it's from behind, though, so he can't actually see what he's doing. So it just looks like from behind he's lighting a pipe because he's bringing the pipe up – the hands up to the pipe's mouth – or to the mouth, right? Then how did he light the match? Where's the match? In his hand. I don't see any fire, though. They took it away in the reprints, but if you look at the original, he's got a lit match in his hand. Oh, really? Let's see. Oh. Well, that's just crazy. <laughs> Maybe he had the ability to move the hands. I don't know. But I, I that was one of my notes, is I do think it's cool that this actually does look like a puppet in that panel. Because his eyes right. aren't open, and his mouth is closed, and his head looks a little too small. Of course, that could just be bad art, but... <laughs> I think it's just bad art, yeah. It looks like a puppet. I don't know. I don't remember what the rest of your question was already. But, uh... Why did Batman let Wiley shoot the dummy when he could have killed oh. Dick, who was wearing said dummy? Oh, he absolutely couldn't have, because Dick was so short that 
<laughs> and they knew he was going to get shot in the head. It says right there. <laughs> I'm too small to reach the top of the dummy. The shots went over my head into the dummy's head. Luckily. Oh, yeah. Luckily, Wiley didn't shoot him in the back. Well, there's a chair in the back. You can't shoot him in the back. The chair would have blocked the bullets because it's made of titanium. <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> Um, as far as the head explosion, they no, don't, no. they don't, they don't, they're not going to show a human looking head explode. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, there are bullets in his forehead, so that's something. Well, it, uh, fine. It's yeah, still ridiculous. It's kind of crazy. You know, what's even funnier is I've been reading, reading along with Batgirl to Oracle and there was a, an issue of him using that dummy again too. So that's kind of cool. They brought the dummy back. Yep. I think so. If I remember correctly. So apparently he he made it to to use it often or you know at least twice. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm not convinced, but okay. No, I'm not saying you have to like the dummy. The dummy is a little weird, but it's a lot weird. It's like overly clever, you know. <laughs> it's like there were, it, there were probably other ways to accomplish. It feels like something I would read in a uh, Silver Age Superman story. Right. With Jimmy Olsen dressing up like Superman and no one notices. Right, right. But, um, but then, then we have a page 13, which is um, two-thirds exposition. Right, as usual. Yeah. They have to wrap it all up because we don't we don't ever see Batman actually investigating and discovering anything. So the last page, right. he has to tell you every little thing that went through his mind during this entire story. Mm-hmm. And speaking of weird, I don't understand Antal. I don't understand Wiley's... Um, plan. It doesn't make any sense to me because if he wanted the guy to be famous and have people buy a lot of his paintings, then he did the exact wrong thing because nobody was buying the guy's paintings because they were all scared to die. I mean, he even went into Gordon's office and said, you have to fix this problem. No one's buying my paintings. Well, it says if he could – he bought the paintings for cheap, uh-huh. and he knew he could get fabulous prices for them if Antal suddenly became notoriously famous. Right, but nobody was buying them. In fact – they were buying them – it seemed like they were buying them better before everybody started dying. Like all these socialites were buying his portrait because he was going to be the new portrait artist thanks to Wiley's awesome benefactoring or whatever. Clearly he was planning on getting all this you know, kind of urban legend and mystique about Antal's paintings, and then he was going to kill Antal so that the paintings that existed would rise uh-huh. in value. Okay. Yeah, I guess eventually it would all blow over. Just like over. Batman had a dummy prepared just in case he ever needed to dress up his uh, uh, kid sidekick yeah. in order to lure a villain. Yep. And then watches the villain kills himself because they're not allowed to kill villains anymore. Yeah, Batman's villains have been committing suicide a lot more now that <laughs> Batman is seemingly forbidden to kill. Yep. I guess they have to do away with the folks some way, but... I guess, they, I guess arresting isn't good enough, huh? But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of more of the same whodunit. I like the, you know, the painting scheme was cool. Like the idea that, you know, the prophetic painting murders or whatever. But yeah, that's about it, all I really got out of it. I, it was terrible. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the, the first four pages were fine, but then, you know, Batman goes into action and it just gets worse. Because mm-hmm. we have the dummy, obviously, which I hate, and I I hate that we see all the the detective work. It's detective comics, but all the detective work is done off-panel yep. while Robin has a fight with the bad guy. Yep. So, I mean, I want to see Batman doing detective work. Yeah. Even if even if you can't give us 
the readers enough clues to figure out things on our own, at least let's see Batman doing things and rather than just randomly leaving on some vague mission where he solves the case. Right. So. And I wasn't too hot on the art in this issue either. It feels unfinished in a lot of areas, I think. Mm-hmm. A lot of panels have backgrounds that are just solid colors, and they just don't seem as sharp as in other stories. So, yep, painting murder was cool, and seeing Bruce Wayne in society being slammed by other society people was cool. That's about it. Right. But if you want to read this story that we just told you not to read, you can read it in Detective Comics number 441, which was published in 1974, or Batman Archives Volume 1 in 1990, or our trusty Batman Chronicles Volume 2 in 2006. Uh, but after that, we have an ad for Batman number two that reads, Up, up, up goes the popularity of this sensational adventure strip. So here's the second issue of Brand New Exploits of the Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. 64 pages in color. You won't want to miss it. On sale July 20th at all newsstands. So we should probably cover that one. Um, after that, we got one page of... Our, Facts by Sheldon Maldoff called Mighty Adams, and it's facts about short athletes who are able to hold their own against the larger variety. Um, okay. Okay. Then we got six pages of Bart Regan's Spy by Jerry Siegel and Maurice Kashuba called The Missing Gas Mask. Six pages of Red Logan, Ace Reporter by Ed Winiarski called The Jewelry Robberies. We got a two-page text piece called Eagle Eye by R. Emmett Pace and Jack Letty. Six pages of The Crimson Avenger by Jack Lady called The Girl in Red. Six pages of Speed Saunders' Ace Investigator by Gardner Fox, huh, Gardner Fox and Fred Gardiner called The Pyromaniac. Six pages of Steve Malone, District Attorney, called Murder in the Seashore Inn by Don Lynch. One page of Gafu the Great by Russell, <laughs> Russell Cole. <laughs> Maybe the one and only page of Gafu the Great. Um, is that one of those gag strips? Yeah. Okay. Uh, six pages of Cliff Crosby by Chad Grothkoff called An Ear in the Mail. Gross. And lastly, eight pages... With of, a green skull on the last page. Yeah. Might I add? Okay, sorry. Uh, and lastly, eight pages of Slam Bradley by Jerry Siegel and Howard Sherman called The Gem Jewelry Company. And it had no opener because they don't care about Slam Bradley anymore. Aww. Well, he's less pages now, so they have to uh, book get, it on along. Yeah, get right to it, huh? And that's it for detective number whatever this is, 43, 42. <laughs> so the next book we're going to look at is the second issue of Batman's self-titled book, which was released on July 20th, 1940, and had a summer 1940 cover date. Price of ten cents for sixty-four pages, and was edited edited by Whitney Ellsworth. The cover is by Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, and shows Batman shoving a crook backwards so that he trips over Robin, who is kneeling on the ground. Yep, another another minimalist effort. Right, and the red background's kind of intense yeah. for my own personal taste. But anyway, it's it's great. I love seeing the huge. Batman logo at the top of the book. Mm-hmm. That's very awesome. And have you noticed that that logo is different than the one they use at the top of the stories? 
Yeah, a little bit, huh? The lettering is different, which I never noticed until I was going through these stories here. Yeah. I think so, I like the cover letter better, maybe. I think I like the one inside better. Okay. Because really. they all match in size? Um, or something? The lettering just looks a little less cartoonish, I think. Okay. Yeah. But anyway... But they're both cool, and I, I do love seeing the, the huge logo at the top of the book. Mm-hmm. And I know you're not a fan of the big logos, but... Uh, well, yeah, depends. <laughs> so our the first... This, this book contains four stories. So the first was a 13-page story that was untitled at the time of publication, but later called The Joker Meets Catwoman. It was written by Bill Finger with art by... Bob Kane, Jerry Robinson, and George Rousseau. Letters by George Rousseau. And edited, of course, by Whitney Ellsworth. The Joker, Grim Jester, Arch Criminal, Master Fiend. An ember of life glows within the ghastly shell of human clay, and the icy claws of fear and apprehension clutch tighter about the hearts of the denizens of the world. Only three dare to play the game of cards with this mad, evil genius. The fearless Batman, the heroic Robin and the beautiful, lithe, mysterious Catwoman. To the winner belongs the Pharaoh Gems. The loser gets death. And our story begins at the home of Bruce Wayne, where he and his young aide, Dick Grayson, are playing chess, bored that there is no crime to ignore. But that soon changes as they receive news that the Joker survived his self-inflicted stabbing, see episode 14, and is being treated at Vesalius Hospital. The totally awesome Batman leaps into action at the news and plans to nab the Joker before he can escape again. Elsewhere, members of Crime Syndicate Inc., led by a surly man named Weasel, plan their own scheme to spring the Joker from the hospital and recruit him as their new leader in order to steal the E.S. Arthur Farrow's gems. That evening, Syndicate members separately infiltrate the hospital, pretending to visit patients, and once inside, they spring their trap knocking out orderlies before grabbing the head surgeon and, and attendants and taking them to the operating room. At gunpoint, Weasel and the other crooks force the protesting doctors to operate on the Joker. Back outside, Commissioner Gordon and the police keep guard on the hospital, unaware of the events inside, when suddenly the Batman appears on the roof. The police give chase and try to trap the Batman, but the Batman charges through the police, jumps in his car, and speeds off. As the police give chase, the Batman attempts to turn but crashes his car into a tree. The Batman is unharmed, but after he exits the car, the vehicle erupts into a fiery ball of flame. The Batman runs to a nearby barn, barricading himself inside. Police burst the door down, only to be confronted by a flaming hay bales and a pitchfork-wielding Batman. The Batman throws the pitchfork, impaling one of the officers, then mounts a horse, Lone Ranger style, and makes a break for it. The officers fire, and as he is showered with an array of bullets, the Batman falls from his horse, dead. As the commissioner unmasks the Batman, they realize it's not the Batman at all, but Circus Charlie, an escaped convict. It seems Charlie had masqueraded as the Batman to lure police away from the hospital because back there, Weasel and his gang are carrying the recovering Joker out and into a waiting car. Meanwhile, a kindly street vendor slips behind the building to reveal her true identity, the cat. Just as she does, she is surprised by the Batman, the real one this time, who quickly picks her up and deposits her into a car. The Batman makes a deal with Catwoman that he won't take her to prison if she tells him what she knows about the Joker. After getting the information about Weasel and the Joker's whereabouts, he lets her go. 
A week later, the Joker has recovered, and in the lair of the crime syndicate, he meets with Weasel and the other gangsters. The Joker tells them that despite the fact that one of them has poisoned Arthur, the owner of the Pharaoh Gems, they shall not share in the dividends. It seems the Joker has slipped them all a sleeping potion and intends on snagging the diamonds for himself. Weasel doesn't take too kindly to that and pulls a gun on the Joker. But just then, the Batman busts in and makes quick work of the crime syndicate as the Joker slips away. Elsewhere, the cat enters Arthur's castle to find him dead with a ghoulish smile on his face. The cat grabs the jewels, but before she can leave, she is confronted by the Joker himself. Just then, Robin swings in through the window and engages the Joker. Robin holds his own, but the Joker ultimately grabs a mace and, be and overcomes the boy wonder. The Joker prepares to plunge a needle of poison into the unconscious Robin, but the cat pleads for Robin's life in exchange for the jewels. The distraction allows Batman to swoop in for the save. After a boot to the face and a sock to the jaw, the Batman grabs a pair of swords and orders the Joker to fight. Fight for your worthless existence. The sword fight takes the two men upward to a balcony where the Joker gets the upper hand and forces our hero off a ledge, sending him plum plunging to the water below. Thankfully, the Batman is able to break his fall by grabbing hold of some vines that are growing on the castle walls. Shortly back inside, the cat has barricaded herself and Robin inside the library. The Joker is using a crossbow to shoot flaming arrows at the door, intent on smoking them out. The Batman tackles the Joker and knocks him unconscious with a hard right. With the building in flames, the Batman grabs Robin and heads for the waiting Batplane, with the cat in tow. As the Batplane takes off, the cat makes an escape by jumping from the ladder into the water below. Robin laments that she got away with the jewels, but the Batman reveals that he took the jewels from the cask and bids goodbye to the female felon. Yay. Yay. Everybody loses. <laughs> uh. It's not um, quite as strong as the last couple that we've looked at, but I think this is another well-designed splash page. Because mm -hmm. your eye takes you right down the page and then over to the, the first panel. Yep. Nothing scarier than a huge looming Joker. Right. Uh, but in the the uh, the intro text uh, for the very first Joker story back in Batman number one said that only two dare oppose him. So I wonder if the intro here, where it says only three, was intentional was an intentional throwback to that. Yeah, maybe. Just a coincidence. Yeah. It must be really hard to write those opening captions over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they. In the next few stories, they get kind of more boring than they have been, but I like the opening text. Oh, I do too. Very, uh, very pulp feel. Yeah. Uh, but you got to figure uh, Bruce Wayne is probably like the greatest chess player ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the narration says they're chafing from an inaction, and I'm not <laughs> sure whether to be uncomfortable or amused. I was a little of both. Yeah, that, that you'd think you'd be chafing from action. More so than inaction. Yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> that was just but a yeah. weird way to word that, but we I have don't know. Bruce and we have Bruce and Dick playing chess, and Dick says, well, "I guess you win." It's like well, way to be a good loser, there, Dick. Yeah, really. So even though it's been like, like we said, months between issues here, it seems like this story picks up right off, right where the last one left off. You know, with the Joker lives. Yeah, like the very next day, because Bruce is holding a newspaper with the headline joker lives so yeah so that got me that got me wondering if you know since all this stuff is geared towards kids and it's 1940 i wonder if they consider you know detective 
has its own fan base and Batman has its own I don't know. It was just interesting to me that it just you know, we've had three months here. Um mm-hmm. It could be, or it could just be them playing fast and loose with the time, too, because the the second Joker story took place, what, a day after or two days after the first one? It could be when they're actually creating these stories as well. Right. Um, But if you think about it, there's been three Joker stories, and they've all happened right in a row. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's pesky. Yeah. (laughs) But um, speaking of newspapers, we talked about this a little bit last episode, but they've introduced a lot of newspapers in the Batman stories. We had uh, the Tribune. There was the Daily Something in Detective Comics number 29. Mm-hmm. There was the Daily Globe, the Herald, the Daily Star, the New York World, the Daily Herald, and the Daily Flash. Wow. And these are just the papers that where you could make out the name. Right. So that's a lot of paper for one oh, city. Yeah. Yeah. And you asked – I think you asked last episode what the biggest papers were at this time, what the biggest real-life newspapers at the time were. Right. And I, it's hard to dig up circulation numbers from this era, but I would say that the New York Times and the Chicago Sun, the two biggest, or if not, if they weren't the biggest, they were up there. And those weren't used. Had, no. Yeah. So they're all these are all fictitious. Yeah. Newspapers. Except, except for the New York World, which right. was no longer in publication at the time. Right. But. Huh. I was also interested that they took the Joker to Vesalius Hospital. Um, there was an Andrew Vesalius who was a 16th century anatomist and physician, and he wrote one of the most influential books on human anatomy called On the Fabric of the Human Body, huh. which I, I didn't know that off the top of my head. I had to actually Google it. I just Whenever I see these uh, strange names, I Google them just to see if there's a real person or if that's a reference or something, and I was kind of surprised to see. So was there that a Vesalius one. Hospital? No. no. No, but there was an Andrew. Like I said, there was an right. Andrew Vesalius, so I'm, I'm assuming that's where Finger got the name. Mm-hmm. Although there might have been a Vesalius Hospital, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, named after him or something. Right. So I did feel like, uh, you know, we talked about this before, or when we talked about Batman number one. Um, you know, Batman, or Joker was very Joker-like, but there were still elements that weren't, like he was into jewelry and, or diamond or what was he into rubies or something like that um i don't know i didn't find him so so crazy that batman should be suggesting that he get like lobotomized here yeah what's with that i mean i skipped over that in my summary so we might want to kind of explain what we're talking about but um yeah so batman says uh He's going to go abduct the Joker from the hospital before he becomes too strong, and then he's going to take him to a famous brain specialist for an operation so that he can be <laughs> cured and turned into a valuable citizen. So the lesson from that is that from an editorial standpoint, killing villains is bad, but lobotomizing them is okay. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, that just seems like really extreme based on the Joker well, we, yeah. know, we know right now, especially, but even... Because yeah, he 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 seemed a little crazy, but he didn't seem insane. He no. he was very methodical in what he did, in plotting and planning and. You know he yeah he was no worse than any of the other villains Batman has come across. Right. Yeah. And Batman has not suggested that they lobotomize you know Hugo Strange <laughs> to fix him of his. But that you know back then he was killing, so I guess it worked easier. Right. So the crime syndicate. As soon as I read that, I thought, oh man. These guys are probably a thing, right? And so I looked them up, and yeah, they're not. This was it. 
Oh, in the Batman universe, you mean? Yeah. Oh. I was like, ooh, first appearance. <laughs> you know? Look up Crime Syndicate. Nope. This is it. You were, you were probably just familiar from the name from, you know, the Ultraman and Owlman. Right, right. Just oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, okay. I have heard of them somewhere, yeah. Oh, there you go. But yeah, the criminals, they seem like they've kind of changed their tune on the Joker when just last story, which was yesterday, they were upset that the Joker was muscling in on their turf, and now they want to hire him to be the leader of their gang. So. Well, if you can't beat him, join him, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um, I don't know if this is... I think this is supposed to be cigar smoke on this second-to-last panel with the uh, weasel here, but... I just thought it was funny that it looks like the smoke's coming out of his ears, like because he's yeah, coming. It up, does. He's coming up with this plan. It, it kind of made it look like when he thinks really hard, his <laughs> his ears start smoking. Yeah, <laughs> that's a cool panel. And that just kind of adds to the cartoonish mm-hmm. nature. When when Rousseau does the inking, it it really looks a lot more cartoony than when Robinson does the inking. And I think that's part of the reason I don't like Rousseau's inks as much. Mm-hmm. But. I don't think he's as good with the faces either. Uh-uh. Like, there's a lot of detail missing. Like, say, eyes and nose and mouth. Things like that. You know, minor things like that. Right, minor things. Um, so I should have known that the uh, gum lady was Catwoman, or at least was something. Because why waste a whole panel on a person buying gum? Right. If it's not going to go anywhere. But I, totally, I, I didn't pick up on it. Yep, me neither. Just totally read right past that. No big deal. Well, it's not like they made a big deal out of it, though. It's just one, no. two speech balloons, I guess. Yeah, but, you know. So it what? could have just been a random. I guess. I'm just saying they got me, so good got on me. good on them. Way to go, Bill Finger. Yep. Um, okay. I like, though, that the villains are getting smarter by sneaking into the hospital rather than just doing a, you know, full frontal attack on the on the place. Yeah. Plus drawing the Batman or drawing the place away with the phony Batman was a pretty great plan i thought yeah that was cool but then i was like thinking that whole like that that smoke and ears panel we were just talking about he says uh-huh. he says first we get some of us into the hospital then i got a plan for getting them out and past the cops and then they go in the hospital and just start beating on people <laughs> i just thought that was kind of funny like that's the big plan you go in and, <laughs> and you you beat the heck out of everybody um but yeah, there was the Batman. Well, he needed he needed surgery, which which I had a problem with because I don't know how Weasel knew what kind of surgery the Joker needed or that he even needed surgery at all, and how he knew which doctor could do that. It was yeah. kind of one of those weird. It's not a major issue, but it's just kind of odd. I think that's one of those things they could have just skipped, personally. Yeah. Like, just. Well, I mean, if they didn't tell us that he needed surgery, would we wouldn't have even assumed that we would have just thought he was all better and take him out of the hospital, you know? Right. So, yeah, that kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit, but uh, but it isn't that huge a deal, I guess. I do like this panel, though, with the quote-unquote Batman on uh-huh. the top of the hospital uh-huh. in the big silhouette. That's very nice. So they got me again. They got me twice. They got me Gun Lady. Yeah. And they got me here, too, because when I was first reading this, I was all being mean, like, oh, man, Bob Kane's really slacking. He's not showing Batman's face. This is just ridiculous. Panel after panel, there's he's just totally bypassing his face. Like he just doesn't have time to draw it. And then it like right, right towards the end, I started going, "Oh, wait a minute!" Right around uh, right around the time that right Batman before the, starts throwing uh, <laughs> pitchforks, pitchforks into, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Then I suddenly realized, okay, that was the awesomest thing ever. Yeah. I love that. I picked up on the that he wasn't showing his face, but I too just figured, well, it's Batman or Batman, Bob Kane taking shortcuts again. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed that the car looked different. Oh, I didn't even pick but up I on just, that. But yeah, it does. In this era, you know, you you don't really criticize things like that because it's just kind of it's just part of the era. They didn't really pay attention to the details a lot, and yeah. it turns out that that was a clue. So. Yeah. But Circus Charlie did pretty good against all those police. Oh, um, certainly did. So I guess he jumps. He he kicks the policeman. He jumps off the roof into the car. Mm-hmm. He, he jumps off the roof head first, and then lands in the car feet first. So yep. he did like a midair flip. But yeah, maybe he maybe Circus Charlie was a circus acrobat. Let, maybe that's how he got his name. Let's hope that's that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense to me. He's probably just an accountant. But the, the police say, the Batman has never attacked the police before. Yeah, he has in just about every other issue we've read. So it's more yeah. kind of revisionist history. Yeah. But yeah, I really love this whole idea of the crook dressing up as the fake Batman. Mm-hmm. And what, what I thought was especially cool was that with the exception of killing the officer with the pitchfork, he doesn't really do anything different than what Batman normally does. So it yeah. really, you know... it. It suckered us, and I'm sure it suckered the young children that were reading the book at the time, too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, totally got me. Plus, Batman on a horse is really cool. Yep. We get Batman on a horse and Batman sword fighting in one story. It's two yeah. wins. Yeah. <laughs> and Batman throwing a, a pitchfork through a police officer, you know. Yeah. Not the in, in a very In a very demonic-looking panel with mm-hmm. the flames and the uh, even the shading on his cowl, it really... Uh, accentuates the, the horns yeah. of his ears. Yeah. So, and I, I didn't know if that was intentional or just a coincidence, but... Yeah. Um, so page eight, I this was one of those pages where I had trouble figuring out where to read next. And it's not like really that bad now that I look at it. It's like, follows the S pattern, I guess. But, but yeah, this was back when I, I hadn't figured out that the panels were numbered, so... Yeah. I think I read one out of order and it confused me. We And we have more on this... Where's it at? Oh, yeah, on this page we have more of that weird phrasing and, and uh, idioms from the time that I didn't really understand. Yeah. Because uh, it says uh, that Weasel knows his onions, which I had no idea <laughs> yeah. what that means, but apparently it means that you know your stuff. That's funny. I'm going I'm to bring that one back. That's good. <laughs> I know my onions. But, yeah, even though, like we've said, the art isn't all that great, I, I still like seeing the cat. I think they're they're drawing her pretty good. Yes, um, even though she's... Even though, much like her first appearance, she's wearing one thing, and then she takes her mask off, and she's wearing a, a completely different outfit. Ah, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that's funny. Well, she's got the the big purple old lady dress on, mm-hmm. and then you see her take her mask off, and she's wearing the low-cut cleavage-bearing well, green thing. Maybe the dress came off on off panel or something. Um, is that the same you see, thing? You see Catwoman taking her clothes off in an alley. Is that the uh, same dress she was wearing? I, I am looking right now. I guess I could just look. It's right here. It's it's colored a darker, but other than that, it looks to be the same dress. Yes. Cool. So that's her uniform then, I guess. Her costume. Her costume, yeah. Um, Batman sneaking up on Catwoman with the big creepy grin, though. Is awesome. Weird. 
I liked awesome. it. I know. <laughs> okay. I know. It's ridiculous looking, but it's hilarious. I don't know why. I just find it really funny. Reminds me of, like that Lenny and Squiggy, you know, hello. Ow. Yeah. But yeah, it's like it's weird that just that panel alone kind of, you know, on the one side, Batman looks horrible in that panel. On the other, you know, Cat Catwoman looks pretty good. So uh-huh. I don't know what's going on there. But that, that just cracks me up. From out of nowhere, hello. And on page nine, Robin is driving the Batmobile or the Bruce Wayne's car, whatever you want to call it. Or the car and- is European. <laughs> Let's assume it's not. All right, I quit. No. Um, but, but by 1940, most states had a legal driving age of 16, and there's no way that I buy that Robin is 16. I'm sorry. Well, unlike what Batman says, he certainly works outside the law, so I don't know that Robin driving matters all that much because you know Robin's trained to kill a guy with his pinky, so <laughs> I think he can handle a car. <sighs> cool. All right. What's going to happen if he gets pulled over? What's your license? <laughs> you know? They are on their way to becoming duly deputized. Yeah. Well, maybe at that point he'll stop driving. Um, but yeah, this whole explanation, I don't understand. This is the one part of the story where, well, maybe not the one part, but this is one of the parts of the story where I, it gets a little muddled for me. I don't get like, really get why Catwoman was at the hospital. Like, Are we uh, talking about the part where Batman's totally hitting on Catwoman? No, that part I get. She's okay. she's good looking, I but, you know, um, but you know she's competing with the Joker for gems, but right. she didn't she didn't know that the crime syndicate was going to free him as far as I know, so I don't know why she was even there. And also I don't get how she knows anything about the crime syndicate or where they're taking the Joker, even though you know she's sitting here telling Batman all that information. And um, yeah, that's the part I just don't understand. But uh, maybe she's maybe. been. She's been trailing them longer than we think or something. Could be. I didn't even question it when I read it, but now that you bring it up. It's like, to me, if you are competing for the the diamonds or whatever it is... Um, you would go after them instead of waiting yeah, in the hospital? Yeah, go get him while he's in a coma or something. You know, Joker doesn't even know anything about the diamonds yet. He hasn't even woken up. Hmm. So, I just thought the whole explanation was kind of weird. Yeah. Maybe there's a way to bring her into the story. Yep. Yeah, not that big a deal. Um, it looks like they ran out of room, though, in, in the, we'll see, one, two, third panel. Batman's yeah. first beach balloon, because the writing just gets progressively smaller <laughs> as you go to the bottom of the panel. <laughs> yeah, At she's... least they didn't just end it with et cetera, et cetera again. So. Yeah, yeah. Catwoman's probably thinking, God, doesn't he ever shut up? <laughs> and we have more of the uh, radioactive substance on the bottom of the floor. That yep. allows Batman and Robin to trail Catwoman's steps. So it's a a new proto-Batmobile feature. Apparently when you mm-hmm. drive in the Batmobile, you get foot cancer. Hooray! Yay! So Free cancer with every ride. He's like coated his floor with the same radioactive substance that allows him to track Robin around the city. Apparently uh, in 1940, radioactive just meant glow in the dark, not you're going to get cancer and die. Right, or turn into a mutant or whatever. Right. Uh, that's where the the X-Men came from they they all rode in Batman's Batmobile oh, right, and turns right. into mutants there you go right that's how it started but um, it says the Joker has amazing recuperative powers mm-hmm. just like Batman yep I kind of wonder if they were initially intending for the Joker to be more of a physical threat than he ends up being 
Cause, he's been a pretty physical threat so far. Right, that's what I mean. The last two stories, he he beat the snot out of Batman at least right. you know, once each story. Now he has amazing recuperative powers. And then later on, there'll be some examples of... It's like they're going out of their way to remind us that he's sick, and that's why you know Robin can beat on him, and mm-hmm. or Batman was able to beat him so quickly because you're wow, you yeah, don't feel good. It says he completely recovered, but yet later it says that he. That's why they explain that's why Robin was able to uh, mm-hmm. beat him up because he had just had right. surgery, so that's kind of a conflict. But yeah, this um this weak jump here is a bit odd mm-hmm. because from Batman and Robin's perspective. Nothing's changed. You nope. know, they're, they split up to go investigate the... Well, no. Know, they, they, they split up to go investigate the crime syndicate and, and to trail... Uh, Catwoman. Right. And yeah. then it's a week later and they're still doing that. Yeah, it's like Catwoman says they're at this location. And so if you just go with Batman's story, the very next panel we see Batman, he's at that location. Right. And But meanwhile, yeah, there's this whole week thing in between... And what was Robin doing trailing Catwoman for a week, you know? Right, exactly. So, so I think they just messed up that caption. They shouldn't have said that, maybe. I don't know. I liked that the Joker double-crossed the gang, though. That seemed mm-hmm. like a very Jokerish thing. You know, you should, you should never trust the Joker. But I also wondered if the fact that he just made them go to sleep instead of killing them was also part of that, you know, no-kill policy. It could be. He does kill... He does kill someone later in the issue, but it's not explicitly shown. So, yeah, I don't think he's going to be as um, evil. Although last last evil. issue we had the villain killing people left and right, so maybe not. That's true. I don't know. I know eventually he becomes, you know, pretty tame. So, yeah, maybe he just sincerely thinks, hey, you know, I owe you guys my life, so I'll only slightly double cross you. Normally, I would kill you, but right. <laughs> I'm just going to put you guys to sleep today. And they should all be very, very happy that that's all they got from him. More of Batman referring to himself as Papa again. I really hope we don't get that too many more times, but... At least he's not spanking anyone. Yeah, before it was a woman, now it's a guy. Right, yeah. into, Pop- right into Papa's hands. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but he's very strong. Like yeah, he's son. really tossing people around in this fight. Yeah, he just picks a guy up right over his head and throws him into a bunch of other guys. That's cool. I don't know. I, I don't think Batman should be that strong to just easily pick a guy up like that and throw him. But you know, it. I don't. They're it, trying to show how cool Batman is. So that's well, okay. it depends on how you think of him. Like you know, I could Hulk Hogan can pick up a guy and throw him. You know, so is he as big as Hulk Hogan, or is he? Right. But, is he like you know Bruce Lee size, or what is he? You know, I don't know. It depends on who's drawing him, I guess. Alex Ross Batman could definitely pick someone over his head. <laughs> I thought it was cool that Arthur had a castle. And I want a castle. Yeah, that'd be nice, huh? Uh, but this is the first time that Catwoman and Joker meet. Mm-hmm. First time two Batman villains have really met, period. Unless you count the Joker and Crime Syndicate from the page before. Which well, we don't, because... Right, they're not they recurring don't. or anything, so... Yeah, they don't go anywhere. Right. This is This is the first time he's had two major villains in a story at all, right? Like I think of. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yep. And it's also the first time a villain has returned for the third time. Oh, yeah. So. so That's true. So we've had, you know, two Doctor Deaths and two Hugo Stranges and two Jokers, but this is the first, third appearance. Yeah. Awesome. 
So go Joker. But Robin wailing on the Joker, incredibly fun to watch. I don't know why. Yes. I love how he kicks the Joker in the face again. Mm-hmm. That was a cool... His face looks pretty cool here getting punched, too. I don't know. Good, yeah. Good job on the art there. Um, but unfortunately, he loses. That actually kind of bummed me out a little bit. I was hoping he would just take him out. That would be it, but can't gets, have that. Yeah, he gets knocked out again like all good sidekicks do. And mm-hmm. It was interesting, though, seeing Catwoman plead for Robin's life. Yeah. You know, I, I like that she's an evil character. Well, that she's not an evil character. I mean, she she's a thief, but she's she's not a, like a super villain, you know, killing everybody type of character. No, there's a there's line for her. Right. You don't cross, you know, murderous or at least murdering a child. Right. Is is too far. Did she didn't kill anybody in that first story, did she? No. The other people did. Yeah, okay. I mean, there was that one ambiguous guy that they said something like, we found him like this, but it didn't say what this was. Right. But we just assume it was unconscious. Right. Since Batman let her go and all. I liked the uh, Batman and Joker sword fight, too. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems a bit inefficient. Why not just keep punching him when you've got the upper hand? But sword oh, fights are cool. I know. That, yeah, that's so Robin Hood, you know? Like, yeah. You're probably going to win, so let's be chivalrous and give the guy a sword. Um, but then it backfires because the Batman totally loses. Right. It <laughs> falls off the balcony. Uh, I, I can't really picture Batman sword fighting in modern times. Maybe oh. with Ra's al Ghul, but... There you go. That's yeah, what I was thinking of. That's about it, but... Yeah. I don't think a sword fight in between uh, Jack Nicholson and oh. Michael Keaton would have worked. No. No, no, no. No, no certainly Ghul, because that, that's a very famous... Visual, actually, but uh, oh, right, yeah, he's got that Arabian connection mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. you know the swords and all that, but yeah, but I like that he almost pulls his arm out. Yes, his, is that what he says? His arm, yeah, his arm out when he falls. Yeah, yeah, it's more realistic, and it's not the super Batman that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Very much. It's always nice to be reminded that he's just a human being. But where does <laughs> where does Joker get the crossbow and the flaming arrows? Uh, yeah, I don't, I guess if you own a castle, that means there's crossbows. You have a crossbow? I guess, yeah. It's, it's insane, you know, I mean, you know, you're shooting flaming arrows for crying out loud, and that's very befitting of the Joker, so I kind of like it in that respect. You you can just see him, uh, like in maybe Batman animated series, he's just sitting there laughing maniacally, shooting flaming arrows at this door, and clearly on the way to being killed himself, but not really caring. As he's barricaded, or as, you know, Catwoman's barricaded herself in to try and right. protect Robin. That's all yeah. very very scary. It's cool. I like it. But, maybe, um, maybe he just brought his own lighter. I don't know. It could be. But then the Batman comes in and sock, bam, piff, pow, clubber, and and then he leaves. Our, our no-killing Batman leaves the Joker in a flaming building. Yeah, well. Just, just saying. I don't. I don't have to. What is it? What's the line? I I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you either, or something like that. Yeah. He doesn't say that here. No, that's from Batman Begins. But oh, my least favorite part of that movie. But anyway, but yeah, there's only so many arms and ladders, I guess. So gotta I guess some, gotta leave someone behind. Yeah. At least. Oh, speaking of, how does Cat or Batman grab the jewels from Catwoman? He's climbing the ladder. He's got Robin in one hand. He's climbing the ladder with the other hand, but yet he says that he pulled the jewels, he grabbed the jewels while they were climbing the ladder. Yeah, he didn't do that. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, But I like her departure. 
her escape or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, yes. Jumps, jumps off the rope, goes in the water, and, you know, end of the Catwoman? I was glad to see that she escaped on her own rather than Batman letting her go again. Yep. Like, you know, accidentally, like. But overall, I really liked the story. You know, yeah. I had a few nitpicks, the Joker's operation and the one-week jump, but I don't think most of them really affect the plot, so I can easily ignore those. And I really warmed up to Catwoman in this issue. It's not, yeah. that, her, it's not that her first story was bad. She just wasn't someone that I was anxious to return, or to see return, like Hugo Strange or the Joker. But I really liked her protecting Robin, and she makes a good Batman villain in that way because she's she's not pure evil like everybody else. She just likes to steal things. She seems to be a decent person otherwise. Yeah, she was the star of this story for me, really. I mean, and I, I liked her first story too. I mean, I, I especially liked when she finally showed up as you know herself. Right. I liked the you know the the back and forth between her and Batman. I thought that was really fun. Um, and it's and like you said, it's just neat to see a villain who's not so bloodthirsty and who's a female. Uh-huh. We don't we don't get a lot of female characters in these stories. Period. No. The art seemed rushed again. I think that's just going to be the case for a while. Um, Could be until they get more people working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on I, on the subject of Catwoman, we still have no feline or, or cat motif. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just wearing the regular clothes and same dress as last time. So. And I don't remember if we said, but it, this is the first time they actually call her a Catwoman, though. They right. Were, last time it was just the cat. Yeah, and they inter- they interchange on this one between Catwoman, the cat, and Cat-woman. So they're still working it out, I guess. It seemed like there was less Batman and Robin in this issue because a lot of the story was spent with the villains. Well, there was four, four pages of a fake Batman running. Right, yeah, that's, yeah, that's there was that too. But there was a lot of villains in this story with the Joker and Catwoman and mm-hmm. Weasel and the Crime Syndicate. Yep, yep. So... Yeah, well, you know, Heroes is only as good as his villain, I guess. So. On on that note, though, even though we've got you know so many villains, they're all still going after money. Yep. And I know it's a strong mi- motivator, but I really want to see Finger start mixing that up a little more and seeing which we do before the end of the the book here. But um, I don't know. It just seems like they're all going after money, which which is very un-Batman like. Yeah. Of all his, of all the villains in all the world, Batman's villains are generally not at all interested in money. Because they're all crazy. They're all interested in causing people anguish. Because <laughs> they're sadistic. Did um, one last note that I had? Did you think the Joker looked a little less sinister this issue? Um, I didn't really notice any difference. Well, yeah, I guess I guess his first appearance was very uh, like that card they, or not the card, the character, the uh, what's the guy's name? Forget already. But the guy he was based on? Mm-hmm. The man who laughs? Right. Conrad Veidt. Conrad Veidt, yeah. Um, and this one didn't really have a lot of that face going on, other than the splash page. Okay. It could have been the inking, too. I just wondered if maybe Ellsworth wasn't having uh, them tone the villains down in the art, too. But I guess we'll see as we go through more stories. So. Well, there was a lot more face shots in the first two Joker stories where he's just smiling and being evil. And right. This one, he doesn't even wake up until halfway, you know, in. halfway in and we don't really see a lot of cool face shots. It's all him just getting beat up. But there were some cool expressions with those though. He getting punched in the face and mm-hmm. kicked in the face. Yeah. But, uh, there has been only two reprints for this story. First in Batman The Dark Knight Archives Volume 1 and then in Batman Chronicles Volume 2. All right. And then after that, we have 
two pages of humor called Young Mr. Olds. Haha, <laughs> get it? Um, <laughs> by, by Stan Ashmeyer. And then we go right back into another Batman story, eventually called Wolf the Crime Master. Uh, another 13-pager, script by Bill Finger, pencils by Bob Kane, inks by Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, and letters by Jerry Robinson. And it starts out, bold in his operations, gigantic in his scale of crime. A new master of evil rises to pluck the fruits of crime, only to discover too late that amid his harvest, the ink-hued garb of the Batman and that of Robin the Boy Wonder crop up to destroy him. In his private museum, Cyrus Craig prepares to depart for his mansion, but on his way, pauses to talk to his diminutive custodian, Adam Lamb, and pokes some fun at his obsession with mystery novels. Lamb confesses that he can't get enough of mystery novels that involve master criminals, and sometimes fantasizes about being one himself, which amuses Craig, who can't imagine his timid employee being a, crime, a master of crime. After Craig departs, Lamb stays a while longer, reading well into the night. Finally deciding to leave, Lamb makes his way through the dark and empty museum, but as he heads down the stairs, he trips on loose carpeting and plummets down the stairwell, his head hitting the floor with a sickening thud. Dazed, Lamb looks up to see a mounted frame of a bat, which fell to the floor during his stumble. Confused, he then turns his attention to his dropped book, The Crime Master, and while the hall clock strikes twelve, all this sinks into his very subconscious as he is drowned in oblivion, ultimately passing out from the blow to his head. He awakens the next morning, very shaky, but seemingly unharmed. That very night, however, he again heads home after working at the museum, and as he walks down the street, a clock in the distance strikes midnight, and a startling change begins to occur. His mouth twists into a vicious, slitted leer. His glasses are jerked off. A strange, wild light flames with fury in his eyes. His form straightens, becomes like that of a wild, caged, and restless animal. As Lamb completes his new transformation, a lone man walks by, and Lamb reaches out and grabs him, pummeling the man to death with his cane, and leaving his corpse on the street. The next day, Lamb awakens in his own bed, but can't remember what happened after midnight, or how he made it home. But again, each night, at the stroke of midnight, Lamb becomes another person, an evil criminal, who dubs himself the Wolf. Using a wolf's cunning, he recruits thugs and sets himself up with a new criminal organization, with him in charge as the criminal mastermind. Lamb by day, wolf by night, such is the strange case of the crime master. One night, while on patrol, Batman and Robin come across Wolf and his cohorts raiding a warehouse. Leaping down from the rooftops, Batman and Robin lay into the thugs, until the wolf sneaks up behind Robin and knocks him out with his cane, throwing the unconscious boy in front of one of his getaway trucks. Before his thugs can run the boy wonder over, however, Batman pulls Robin out of the way, and the wolf and his men take advantage of the distraction and escape. As they speed away, Batman makes a note of the unusual dent on the back of their getaway car and commits it to memory. The next day, Bruce Wayne visits his friend Cyrus Craig's museum. As they walk around admiring the pieces, they come across Lamb, who is once again absorbed in a book. Bruce comments on this, and Craig explains that Lamb has read that same book, The Criminal Mastermind, over and over again, which Wayne finds odd, since Lamb seems so timid. As Bruce leaves the museum, he comes across the wolf's getaway car parked outside, complete with dented exterior, and decides Batman and Robin should tail it. That night, the car leads Batman and Robin to the waterfront, where they see the same men they previously scuffled with planning another warehouse job. 
aching for round two, the, di the dynamic duo plow into the group of villains, dispatching them with relative ease until one of them manages to get lucky and fires off a round at Batman, the bullet missing his protective vest and slamming into his shoulder. As Batman falls on the pier into the water, Robin shrieks in horror and goes berserk, angrily lashing out and attacking the remaining men. As the criminals futilely attempt to stop the revenging boy wonder, a noticeable... A noticeably shaken Batman pulls himself back onto the pier and slams a pellet from his belt to the ground, emitting a dark gas cloud that allows him and Robin to escape. Back home, a very nervous Dick Grayson removes the belt from Bruce Wayne's shoulder with a scalpel. Later that next, or sorry, late the next night, as Bruce Wayne recovers from his injury, he reads the criminal mastermind and notes to Dick that the exact same crimes in that book are being committed by the wolf in real life. Remembering that the last person he saw reading the book was Adam Lamb, it occurred to Bruce that the next crime committed in the book is murder, and that his friend Cyrus Craig is scheduled to work late that very night at his museum. Meanwhile, across town at the museum, Craig and Lamb work together on some artifacts when the clock strikes midnight. Once more, Lamb turns into the vicious wolf, and to Craig's horror, grabs a scalpel and lunges at him, but before Wolf can kill his employer, Robin swings through the open window and lands on Wolf's shoulders. However, aided by a madman's strength, the Wolf gets the upper hand on Robin and struggles with the boy, bringing his scalpel slowly downward towards the hero's chest. But Batman reaches from behind and grabs Wolf by his wrists, causing him to release his weapon. As Wolf whirls around, he glimpses Batman's chest logo and instantly goes into a haze, remembering the framed bat piece he saw when he first hit his head. Taking advantage of the wolf's momentary pause, the Batman clocks the villain with a forceful left hook and knocks him down the stairs once more, this time to break his neck at the bottom. As Lamb lay dying, surrounded by Batman, Robin, and Cyrus Craig, he explains to the men what must have happened, how he accidentally became the master criminal known as the Wolf. With his dying breath, Lamb apologizes for all the trouble he caused, and both Batman and Robin express remorse over the death of the accidental criminal mastermind. The end. Yay. <laughs> Yay. The opening paragraph re refers to the Batman's ink-hued garb, which I thought was interesting considering Batman's costume has been bluer than ever lately. Yeah, is that what that means, black? Well, yeah. I, that's what I took it to mean. I mean, yeah, I guess you I could have know. blue ink, but... You know. I Yeah, it just was a weird description to me, period. That kind of popped out as the same thing as, like, chafing from inactivity. <laughs> What are they talking about? That's what I took it to mean. Yeah, like black, but I guess it could mean blue. It probably does. I don't know. I like the design of Adam Lamb, though. Uh, yeah, it's this... a little different than other <laughs> characters we've seen to this point. Mm -hmm. The splash page is pretty cool. I like the, the idea that he's looking in the mirror and his mm -hmm. evil alter ego is looking back at him. It's pretty right. neat. There was a... Uh, and he's holding the book that he's been... That was the kind of the centerpiece of the story, The Crime Master. Mm -hmm. And there was a shadow book in 1934 called The Crime Master, as well as a uh, – there was a character called Dan Dunn, and he had a book in 1937 called Dan Dunn's Secret Operative Number 48 and The Crime Master. Huh. So I don't know if either was an inspiration for the book here or if it was just a nod or you know, Crime Master is pretty generic, but I kind of found that interesting, especially the shadow one since – yeah. You know, Shadow was a big inspiration on Batman. He seems to be awfully influential to the Batman, yeah. So, right. probably. They referenced, they referenced the Shadow story with the uh, re-kill from the World's Fair story, too. So that's 
kind of what made me think it could be. Yeah. So Adam Lamb, which by the way, a clever name, right? Lamb, like there's no way, you know, he can't be a lion. Um, Falls down the stairs, hits his head, sees a bat, sees a book, hears a clock, becomes the wolf. Right. And well, yeah, that's kind of hokey. And I don't think that's how the brain really works necessarily. But, um, you know, radiation, 60s Marvel, you know, radiation doesn't work like that either as far as 60s Marvel. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but what I like about this. And people from other planets don't look like humans. and Yeah. So. Right. Um, what I like about this is that this is our first villain origin, really. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. That I can think of. I mean, this this whole story is from the villain's point of view, really. Right. Um, which I think is also first, but that's that's a very Batman thing to, especially a villain who starts off as not so villainous. You know, he's just like this meek guy who keeps to himself, likes to read, maybe a little obsessive about reading books. You know, they suggest. Um, and then yeah, he through an accident, the city eats him up, and he turns into a bad guy. So. Mm-hmm. This is like the first, in a way, like traditional Batman villain that I. Well, I mean, he doesn't ever go anywhere past this, but. Right, obviously. Right. <laughs> Even what happens at the end, but. Right. But yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. And I like the captions on this, all these, on this page too here, where he where he's falling, or you know, he turns into the wolf. Not just this page, but after that too. You could actually just read these captions without the picture. And... Yeah, they're not really letting the art do its job, as far as. Yeah, kind of telling the story that way, but but again, this is new stuff, so you know, right? You're still getting the hang of things like that. Yeah, well, but and there's there's being repetitive and there's being creative, I guess. And this didn't bother me that bad. It didn't seem like it was being all that repetitive. It seemed like more, it no, was no, right. It was adding to the mood, right? And kind of made it a fable or you know, uh, you know, this classic tale or mm-hmm. something. So it worked for me. So on page three, I think they did a uh, pretty good job of making Adam Lamb transform into the wolf without actually mm-hmm. making him transform, I guess. Because obviously he just hit his head. It's not like he took a, a drug or yeah, something. Yeah, I had a note that I didn't know how a bump on the head would cause physical changes. Because when I read the story, I kind of read it like he was his features were physically changing. But after I read your note and looked at it again... I can see that he's just kind of snarling his face up a little bit. He's not actually physically changing. I was kind of reading the uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde into it too much, I think. Yeah, he just stands up straighter. He loses his glasses. He starts sweating, and he puts on this really weird smile. Right. That's about it. smile. Very creepy, yeah. But But brutal death. Brutal. uh, Where Where he beats the guy to death with a cane. Yeah. Yeah, just this poor guy who's walking along, minding his own business. He just beats him to death. For no so reason, there, yeah. So there you go. There's no money involved there, at least. That's kind of cool. I liked seeing Batman and Robin out on patrol. On yeah, that's very cool. I don't it's, think we've seen them out together patrolling like this, because it's always been they read something in the newspaper. or. I think we've only seen Batman patrolling once. A couple times. Yeah. The... The first Hugo Strange story is the only one I can think of, but maybe there was uh, others. Well, there was the one where he got lost. Oh, was right. That, or was that the Hugo Strange Strange story? No, 
that was that was a spy story. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I guess that counts as patrolling too. <laughs> patrolling in the woods and getting lost. Yeah. Now I, we have seen, you know, Bob Kane reuses a lot of the same poses, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we have seen a lot of panels where Robin jumps onto a guy's neck, like on yeah. his shoulders. Uh huh. And I don't know why they keep doing that because it's not always the same pose. So it's not like they're repeating the pose, but is it just because he's tiny and they think it's funny, or... I think. I mean, it's, it's a bit awkward that they keep doing it. As long as Batman doesn't do it. I'm... <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't know. It's just one of those things that bugs me. Yeah. Kind of. It's not a sticking it's... point that I'm not going to make a big deal out of, but... It's, it's very circus acrobat, I guess. I guess, yeah. Oh. But, he, man, he better do that right every time, because he's going to be hurting awful if... He times that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> or no, if he just lands on a guy wrong. <laughs> oh. Uh, ow. Yeah. Ow. We get a nice Popeye reference on this page, too, which I liked. Oh, yeah. What you boys need is more spinach. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I think Popeye was out. Yeah, Popeye was oh. out in the 30s. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, once again, Robin gets knocked out. Yes. With the... Uh, what did he get hit with? The cane. The guy's cane. Okay. Wolf's cane. Yeah, and they throw them out in front of the truck. Uh-huh. Batman does the quick rescue. That's kind of nice. Yeah. And when uh, Batman... When Batman... When Robin finally comes to, he makes a reference to the Empire State Building. I, I didn't know if that was another reference to New York or if it was just a figure of speech. Yeah. Because what know. hit me? The Empire State Building? So. Yeah, well, they're, they're still... They're still in New York, as far as we know. New York, yeah, exactly. But I like that Robin... Or, See, I just did it too. I like that Batman uh, gets up and tells him, um, but from now on, they're the ones who will have trouble. I'll see to that. So, yes. Kind of nice. Instead yes. of, let's wait for them to kill a few more people and then. But do... he does wait because it's days later before he does anything. Well, maybe they didn't. Because in well, the very next panel, it says days pass. And then finally, one night, uh, Lamb is waiting up for yeah. Wolf. But changes anyway, and then the next day we see Bruce at the museum. Okay, so, that doesn't bother me. That he was out looking, right? And just didn't find anything. But I don't know. I just, I, I guess part of it is just what we have to put up with in the stories due to the page count. Mm-hmm. But it, I just wish he would find some way to work around it. Well, this doesn't bother me. Days later, days pass is fine as long as it's not you're reading about five different murders in the paper and you keep saying, we'll wait and see what happens. You know, yeah. we don't know that anything happened in those days and what's he going to do if nothing happens, you know? So, I mean, yeah, in today's modern stories, they'd show him looking for fingerprints or right. whatever, whatever he does, but I don't know. They can't do that here, I guess. But on page seven though, and here is where he investigates and this is what I don't get, is he's at the well, he museum. He doesn't really investigate so much as accidentally seeing something, but okay. <laughs> well, but, okay, yeah, he's, he notices it's the same car. Right. But then it jumps from, I don't understand what happens here. He sees the car, the getaway car, Wolf's getaway car, in the parking mm-hmm. lot of the museum he was just at. Um, and he says, we're going to tail this tonight. And next thing you know, they're just at a pier. So what happened? Like he tailed did, into the pier, I guess. But who drove it? 
Because did Lamb come out and get in his car? In which case, Bruce would have said, uh, wait a minute. Or did did Lamb turn into Wolf in the museum and come out of the museum? In which case, Wolf, or Bruce should have said, uh, wait a minute. Or Lamb's you know. not even there from what we no, see. No, exactly. So, so that's like a good that, point. That whole thing should have revealed Lamb in some form or another. Either Lamb got in Wolf's car or Wolf comes out of the museum that Lamb works in. Well, it, he says, though, that they trailed to the car. Well, kid, trailing this car has certainly led us to the men of last night. So right. apparently one of these guys came and got Lamb's oh, car, I guess and you then they followed that. him to the dock. I guess, yeah. I don't know. That part confused me. Yeah, it's kind of they, weird. They went to all this trouble of telling us about this dented car and how it would come back play later, and then it doesn't really play, but whatever. Yeah. But I do love this panel of Batman and Robin charging down the dock mm-hmm. into action. Mm-hmm. It's very iconic. Yep. Very cool. Is that, Are they choking some guy? Yeah, I guess they are. Uh, Looks like. I guess he's they're... Got, he's got one hand on his neck and the other hand... They're wrestling with the gun in the other hand. I guess because they were performing a crime right there when they showed up or something. Probably, yeah. Okay. I don't kill him. We've got to save him. Let's go, Robin. Okay, yeah. He's, he's, he's the night watchman. There you go. Of the warehouse that they're at. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So page eight. Batman gets shot in the right shoulder where it was the left shoulder. No, it's the other way around. Sorry. The other way around, he gets yeah. shot in the left shoulder where he was shot in the right shoulder first time before he started wearing the vest so very cool mm-hmm. um, love Robin's reaction I love Robin's reaction that's very awesome Yes. He, he just loses it and starts tearing into the crooks and I'm not sure if it's what Finger was thinking necessarily but it really shows that Batman and Robin have become very close you know they're not just uh, partners yeah so. don't, don't make the kid with the lethal art, martial arts knowledge Angry, I guess. No. no. <laughs> he will destroy you. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and I also liked it because having, with Robin just having seen his parents gunned, or not gunned down, but uh, killed, mm-hmm. it, it's totally understandable that Robin would react like this. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Another father, another parent figure mm-hmm. being killed. Right. Um, and now he's going to be an orphan again, or whatever. Uh, all alone. Very cool. Cool reaction. Um, and I also like the way Batman comes out of the water here. Yes. Um, Very cool. It could have been drawn better, but I, I really dig what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I like that this bullet, you know, he doesn't just shrug it off. He hurt. He's hurting. Mm-hmm. You can oh, see yeah. it. He's staggering. He's shaking. Um, and then he uses this new pellet we haven't seen before the black cloud smoke yes. black cloud of smoke batman classic very smoke awesome mom and he disappears mm-hmm. so it's not about knocking people out this time it's about invisibility yeah very awesome so then we get to the next page and we have dick pulling the bullet from bruce's shoulder you know and with still no out with still no alfred it was nice to see that dick can help patch bruce up yeah also a very cool sequence. Yeah. Yes. I kind of would like to have seen a scene where maybe Bruce was coaching Dick through the procedure or, you know, instructing him on how to do it. But yeah. that was that was a page count issue too. So. Yeah. But it, I, it is really nice seeing him help Bruce recover. I like that he's at least nervous. I thought that was cool. Yeah. He's yeah. all sweating from the forehead. <laughs> uh, 
but then again, it, here we go again with the... We get Bruce reading Criminal Mastermind. Crime Master. Crime Master, right. And initially I thought, oh, well, he's obvious. I don't know. I thought he was doing it because they had just been talking about it at the museum earlier. But then it turns out he's just doing it for no reason, I guess, because he's reading. And then it, I guess. And then it, he, after the fact, remembers that Adam Lamb likes this book a lot. Yeah. So I don't really buy Bruce as a big reader at this point. Well, now, yeah. Contemporary Batman, I see as a huge fan of, you know, pulps and swashbuckling heroes and mystery novels. But the way Bruce has been portrayed till now, I don't really see him as being a big reader. Well, I just feel like they're so, you know, with the trailing car and then this crime master thing, they're so close to have, to have gotten it, you know, to be right or to get mm-hmm. it right. And right. they're just a little bit off, you know, like they didn't show us the, tr- the car trailing and now they're having Bruce just randomly read this book that he already knew about. They could have just as easily had him purposely read this book. Yeah. To see what, if there was any connection to Lamb. And because... They're- because he had saw a lamb take the car. You know, it's like, hello, you're so close. Yeah. You had, it, you had it all there. I complained last issue that they weren't showing Batman gathering any clues, and now they are, sort of, but it doesn't really flow right. like he's investigating. They're just kind of right. throwing him in there. Yeah. He has all the clues, but he's not he's not encountering them in a logical way, I guess. It's, right. Um, but once again, we have to have Robin being an idiot for the sake of... You know, so Batman can explain things. Well, he's only eight. I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, that's what my daughter says all the time. I don't understand. <laughs> and she's seven, so same yeah, age, I guess. Your, your daughter wasn't trained by the Batman either, so. True. Just by me. How sad for her. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the fight on page 12 is kind of blah. I mean, I know they can't all be cool knockdown drag outs like we've seen. Mm-hmm. I do like the arm twist. I think that was very neat. Mm-hmm. It looks like he like... Yeah, twists the, the knife out of his hand. Yeah. What looks like a butter knife. It's yeah. like very martial arts. Um, but yeah, he's kind of mean here. Like the guy, I guess... Well, he's figured out it's lamb, but I guess he doesn't know it's a, that the wolf is just an accident. But wolf stops and starts sweating because he sees the bat symbol and gets confused as to who he really is. And instead of, like, pausing the fight, Batman's just like, no, I'm going to punch him down the stairs. Uh, I kind of... I saw that in your notes, and I kind of read that as, like, those three panels were all kind of a split-second thing. Yeah, probably. You know? Like, Batman already had the instinct to punch, and then he kind of saw the face, and by that time it was too late to... Yeah. I just feel sorry for Lamb, I guess. Yeah. I was really bummed that he died. Yeah, Batman accidentally kills him. Uh-huh. Accidentally. Yeah. And I'm no paramedic, but forcing someone to talk when they've got a broken neck instead of calling the paramedics is probably not the best idea Batman ever had. Oh, nobody survived broken necks in 1940 anyway, right? <laughs> probably. He sur- he survived long enough to tell his <laughs> right. whole story in yeah. extended detail. <laughs> He's probably like, could you call the hospital? It's like, tell us your story first. Please, just call the hospital. <laughs> and it's the only criminal he was ever sorry, or the only the only time he was ever sorry to see a criminal die. I kind of wish they had ended on that panel, ended the story on that panel. 
Yeah, the next the next panel is kind of like, okay, he's dead. Next. Yeah, yeah, we're all very happy now. And Batman, you're so awesome. Thanks, we are, aren't we? The end. <laughs> it's like, man, he, the, this poor guy just died and didn't really need to. I don't know. Did you notice he also wants to uh, lobotomize Lamb? Yeah, that's he true. Says, Medical attention might have cured him. Although I guess he could have meant for the broken neck. Okay, never mind. Or you know, psychol or um, you know, counseling or something. Right. Yeah. I had a whole joke about how lobotomies are Batman's new all-purpose treatment, but okay. <laughs> um, but I, I like the story. Yeah, it was all right. It was fun. I, I mostly liked it, like I said already, because. It was a villain story. It was, you know, we got to see a villain from beginning to end, and this is the first time that's happened, and that's 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 a huge Batman thing. Yeah. To and see it, to see nice guys turning bad. It uh, was nice seeing a villain with a different motivation too. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was a normal gangster murderer, but he was forced into that by the change. That wasn't necessarily right. His his motivation for being a criminal. And he was following along. In the book, apparently, so he right. wasn't—he wasn't even interested in the money. He's interested in right. following the path of the book, which just makes him even more crazy. Definitely, but there's a lot of uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde inspiration, oh. and they even name-checked it mm-hmm. somewhere, maybe the which, last page. Which I'm glad they did, because why even bother? Right. Try, trying to hide that. Obviously, that's yeah. where they're getting this from. But yeah, all in all, I liked it. Um, and Best if you story like, of the episode so far. Yep. I think so, too. And if you'd like to read it, it was reprinted in Batman The Dark Knight Archives, Volume 1, and Batman Chronicles Trade Paperback, Volume 2. Okay, so next we have a two-page text piece called A Very Simple Case by David Tree and Raymond Perry, but that's not Batman-related, so we move on to our next Batman story. Okay, so this story is 13 pages, and it's called The Case of the Clubfoot Murders, written, of course, by Bill Finger with art by Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, pretty much the usual suspects at this time. Uh, When a dead man's will was read, it set in motion a series of crimes that was to involve the Batman and his laughing young aide, Robin, the boy wonder, in one of the most dangerous cases they had ever encountered. It was The Case of the Clubfoot Murders. And our story opens with the Batman witnessing a murder. The Batman, being totally awesome, leaps into action, but quickly has his cape handed to him and is knocked out by the assailant, a lumbering man with a club foot and a steel hook hand. As police approach, the Batman revives and makes a quick getaway. Searching the body, the officers find a note that reads, Harley Storm is dead. Vengeance is mine. Signed, Clubfoot. The next day, Bruce Wayne visits his friend, Commissioner Gordon, and invites himself along to the investigation at Storm Mansion. At the mansion, Gordon questions Storm's niece, Portia, about why Clubfoot Beggs would have wanted to kill Storm. Portia tells them that Clubfoot believed her uncle cheated him out of his share in a gold mine that they had discovered and had sworn revenge on the whole family. While they're at the mansion, a reading of Storm's will is being held. In addition to Portia, in attendance are Storm's longtime lawyer, Ward, Storm's brother, Abel and Carl, his son, Roger, and his nephew, Tommy. The family all hates one another and are only really gathered to see what Storm had willed to them. As Ward opens the will, it's revealed that Storm's fortune had been left to charity 
in that Ward and the five family members had each received one piece of gold with the inscription that reads, United we stand, divided we fall. The will states that all six are to keep their tokens and come together in 30 days for the reading of a sealed letter. The family is generally annoyed by this turn of events, and while Bruce thinks that the whole business is very strange. Later that evening, Tommy is harassed by a bookie named Varick, and Tommy tells him about the letter. As the bookie sets his sights on the lawyer and the letter, still elsewhere, Clubfoot creeps into the home of Abel Storm. A hiss, a thud, and another storm is dead. The next day, Dick and Bruce hear of Abel's demise and decide to pay a visit to the lawyer and learn more about the will. As the Batman nears, he hears two of Varick's thugs rummaging through the office. The Batman crashes through the window, and with an assist from Robin, our heroes easily dispatch the thugs. After a rather stark round of threats from the Batman, one of the thugs tells Batman where Ward is being held. Meanwhile, in an abandoned building near the riverfront, Varric is torturing Ward about the location of the envelope. Suddenly, the Batman crashes the party, once more coming to the rescue. He clocks Varric, but unbeknownst to him, Varric's lookout is poised on the catwalk with a gun trained at the Batman's head. Before he can pull the trigger, though, Robin leaps in from a nearby window. Together, the Batman and Robin take out the crooks, including Varric, who gets a nice tasty bite of knuckle sandwich from the Batman. Freeing Ward, Batman asks if he knows what's in the envelope. Ward says no, and the Batman politely excuses himself. Later, back at home, Bruce and Dick ponder the envelope's contents. Finally, Bruce deduces that, shock, the inscription, United We Stand, must mean the tokens must be put together. The Batman sends Robin to protect Roger Storm while he goes once more to try and get the letter. Robin arrives at the Storm Mansion to find Roger dead. He starts to leave to get back and tell the Batman, but is attacked by Clubfoot. Robin is able to fend off the killer, but before he can attack again, Clubfoot drives off in a waiting car. Meanwhile, the Batman breaks into Ward's house to find, one, to find no one home. Hearing a noise in the basement, the Batman investigates to find Clubfoot, the real Clubfoot, chained and gagged. Clubfoot explains that a week ago, Ward had lured him to the house and had planned on killing the entire Storm family and then killing Clubfoot and leaving a fake suicide note that framed him for the murders. Just then, Ward enters and holds the two men at gunpoint. The Batman goads Ward into, into telling him his plan, and Ward explains that when the tokens were put together, they lead to a gold mine that was to be split between him and the five Storm heirs. If all the Storm heirs died, the money would be his alone. So he had set about to make sure that happened, first by killing Storm, then Abel and Roger. While Storm is monologuing, Robin tries to sneak up behind him, but Ward hears the boy wonder's approach and turns to shoot. Robin dodges, and the two men tussle before Ward turns to run. Unfortunately, the fake clubfoot slows him down and allows the Batman to tackle him and beat him silly, thus ending the threat. The end. Yay. So we've been getting awfully... Spoiled with splash pages. This one doesn't really do much for me. Uh-uh. There's no background at all. Mm-mm. Yeah, it just seems off-center and kind of funky, but... The, uh, the narration, uh, it says Batman, uh, he sees the murder, and then he suddenly, with a cry of anger, he leaps into the back of the victim's assailant. And for some reason, I, when it says a cry of anger, I imagine said cry sounding a lot like Charlton Heston at the end of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. Did it. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so is it just me, or is it kind of sad that our hero can't beat a dude with 
one armed and a club foot. Well, it was a fake club foot. Huh? It was a fake club foot. Well, okay. Because yeah. this is Ward. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, just, yeah he should have been able to. When he can't walk up the stairs with the club foot. Yeah. Right. It's just funny. This guy is like, I mean, he looks very creepy, Mr. Clubfoot, but uh, mm-hmm. like everything about him just, you know, is, he's a cripple. So <laughs> it just doesn't seem like a very interesting threat, really, I guess. But it's like wheel, wheelchair man or something, you know. Batman's dialogue is very weird here, too. It says, what a queer fish. And then later yeah. he says, uh, I think it's on the next page. Bruce says something about I'll toddle along. Yeah, when he's talking to Gordon, he says, "I think I'll toddle along." I don't know. Yeah. Oh, how how retro. I guess. Um, I hope I hope that's what it is, and Batman's just not unique with his dialogue. But <laughs> I assume everybody talked like that. Um, cool, cool uh, panel of him clearing that fence, though. I really like that. Yeah, he's pretty pretty spry for a guy that was just knocked unconscious two panels earlier. That's true, yeah. And I was kind of assuming the cops would, you know, do the blame game thing again. Like, oh, Batman killed this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't go that way, which I guess is probably good. They had too much it's, other stuff to... Yeah, exactly. And they've already done that before, so... Plus, Batman has never worked outside of the law before. Right. Don't blame him anymore. But we have Harley Storm, yet another millionaire in this town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We really should have been keeping track of those. Yeah. I... I don't know how you feel about it, but I really don't like that Commissioner Gordon is taking Bruce along on all these investigations. <laughs> and I guess I can accept it a little easier when it's not a crime scene like this, you know, unlike the first issue where he took him along to a, a murder scene. Yeah. But still, I I don't know. I don't think he'd be so willing to take Bruce along constantly. Yeah, it's just another shortcut. and Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe Bruce donates a lot of money to the police ball or something like that every year. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. I do find it interesting that in the golden age, it's the flip side that, that Bruce and Gordon are tight. Right. Uh, and, you know, in the post-crisis or even before that, obviously, it's it's Batman and Gordon who are tight and Gordon and Bruce don't interact at all, really. I, I was just going to ask, do they, in modern comics, do they have much of a relationship, Bruce and... Um, uh, yeah, I don't Gordon. think so. I mean, not that I... Remember, I mean, I, they've met, but I don't. Yeah, I don't think they hang out all the time or anything. Well, no. <laughs> so, what is up with the lettering on these two pages? It's remarkably different than the other, the rest of the story. Did we have a letter credit? Um, the Grand Comics database said, if I can scroll up in my notes, Jerry Robinson. Oh, well, that's normal. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Maybe he was trying something different, or someone else spot. Lettered for him yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah, it does look different. Hmm. Or maybe the credit there's not right too. You know how the Golden Age credits yep. are sometimes. But, um. Could be. So we have another cast of characters theme scene. Uh huh. As uh, Portia lines up all the suspects for us, yeah. very conveniently. Not sure how she's related exactly, but she's his niece. Yeah, but so who is she the daughter of in this scene then? Never. Oh, I don't know. People yeah. randomly had nieces, nieces and nephews right. back in the Golden Age. They they introduced yeah. at some point they introduced uh, Lois Lane had a niece. Oh yeah. But then when they finally got around to introducing Lois Lane's only sister, she was unmarried and had no kids. So there you go. <laughs> so that's weird. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
So maybe but the, a... the niece had the niece had long since disappeared by that point. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, she's kind of cool, but you know, she's one of those instances where nothing really happens with her and she disappears. But. Yeah. She's just there to narrate for us, I guess. But they're reading his will already when he was just murdered the day before. <laughs> yep. Which seems very. I mean, he was murdered. He didn't just drop dead. He was murdered. I don't think they would read the will that fast. No. Um, 13 pages. And they forgot the caption next month. Apparently, yeah. yeah. So what What do you think the point of... I mean, we'll never know. But what was the point of old Uncle What's-His-Face making them wait 30 days to find the gold mine? Was that to get them to all work together and be happy and loving family or what? Apparently, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I read into it, yeah. Yet, even though there was really no requirement for them to hang out or right. <laughs> I don't know, it's just funny. Yeah, that's well, probably they, what it was. It said the whole family hated one, hated one another, and they were just there to see what they got from the will, so... Yeah. You know, it, if any of the uh, people said that they, you know, didn't want this little gold token that they left him, that he left them, then... They'd be out of the money, I guess. Yep. Or maybe Ward changed the will. You never know. Oh, could be, yeah. So he would have time to kill them all. Yeah. Well, he should have just changed it to him being the only heir. That would have been easier, huh? <laughs> that would have been much easier, yeah. He could have just wrote, you guys are all jerks, and I'm giving it all to my lawyer. <laughs> Page five. I think Bob Kane just hates drawing faces. Because yeah. they have this cool panel of Batman and Robin charging into action, and they're running away from the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that, too. And the one right before it, Batman's covering half his face with his right. cape. Which looks very cool, by the way. But like I've said in past episodes, Batman's the perfect character for Bob Kane to draw, because the more in shadow you put him, the cooler he looks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so why, on that same page, why exactly did... Uh, Robin's shout vengeance. I don't understand. I have no idea. Says there's no doubt Clubfoot Biggs hates the Storm family. Vengeance! And then Bruce is like, uh, vengeance? Anyway, Robin, tonight you and I are gonna. <laughs> He's young and impetuous. He just thinks everything is about revenge. I just thought that was weird. It's kind of funny. anyway. Lots of cornball dialogue on page six. Yeah, we're back to the very badly quipping Batman. A bone to kick. Ha ha. Yep. The funny bone. You didn't shave today. <laughs> what I like about Superman is when he makes jokes, they're funny. Oh yeah, sure. He's just he's just more geared towards making jokes, I guess. Yeah. But I do like the threat on the next page. Talk where's Ward talk. Oh yeah, we go from a quipping Batman to what feels like a very Modernish Batman with him threatening. What is it? Uh, I'll shove my fist so far down your throat they'll need a Derek to pull it up again. Exactly. Um, I'm not sure really what they're doing to Ward in the next panel though. Uh, tickling his feet? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I just made that up. I have no idea. Oh. They've got him tied to a chair and the chairs leaned back. One guy's like holding the chair back so his feet are in the air. His his bare feet. His bare feet. Yes. So whatever they're doing, it's not good, because I certainly wouldn't want to be in that position. <laughs> Taking a plier to his toes? I don't know. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Um, I do like the quip, uh, what a holly, what a lovely sound, hollow, as he 
Yeah. Punch, punches one guy's head into another. See, sometimes they're funny. Um, I like how Batman and Robin enter separately. Mm-hmm. From, and I realize from Finger's point of view, it just gives him a chance to do two big, cool entrances. Mm-hmm. But in story, it also shows that they're you know planning ahead and maybe even scoping the place out and really trying to work the element of surprise to their favor. Yeah, be two separate targets. Right. Um, and I love this panel where they're where Batman's uh like got a guy by his foot and he's like twirling him around the room, knocking out. Oh, on the next page, yeah. Yeah, like knocking four guys out. Four guys out while Robin's like punching another guy. They do they do good melee shots every once in a while. And we have a a crook looking at Robin and, and asking if he's a midget, which makes <laughs> me laugh. Yeah, yeah, that's very funny. Uh, moving on to page nine. <laughs> He's like, do you know what's in the envelope? And the guy says, of course not. The, env- the envelope is sealed. And then Batman's just like, okay, see ya. <laughs> right. Very yeah. abrupt. Yeah. Well, if it's sealed, I mean, what are you going to do? Right. That's the law you're talking about. And he even apologized. Sorry, just my curiosity. Now, if you'll excuse me, it's just very polite for Batman. Mm-hmm. I think even in this, even in, even in this golden age era. Can't talk tonight. Yeah. Post-crisis Batman would be like, give me that envelope. Give me it. Right. Give me it. Right now. <laughs> Where are the other drugs going? Yeah. Swear to me. Yep. Oh, and it took Bruce far longer to realize that the tokens needed to be put together than it really should have, because I'm pretty stupid, and I figured it out back on page two. It took everybody too long. All those right. family members. They should have right. just figured that out right off the bat, but oh well. The, uh... Last panel on this page nine, though, Batman is really weird looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his body is huge compared to what his head is. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge shortcut. And also, uh, yeah, it's like the cape is covering his body, so you don't really see. Yeah, it's just really weird. It reminds me of, it's going to be a totally uh, random reference, but it kind of reminds me of that guy Jara from Men in Black 2. You ever seen that movie? I have, but it's been a while. I don't mm. know who you're talking about. Well, there's a bad guy that floated around in a big old trench coat and then turned out underneath he had a bunch of little tiny aliens or that looked just like him. It was funny. Anyway, yeah, it's just really ridiculous looking. Oh, I just Googled him. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but, and I just, we have, um, we were talking about the inky-hued, ink-hued garb. Well, here they refer to Batman as the Black Knight. Mm. So again, we have more references to Batman being black and mm. dark when he's been a very vivid blue for several stories now. Yeah, maybe they're thinking that he's black with blue highlights or something. I don't know. That's, could be. Could just could just be a coloring thing. Yeah. That's a lot of highlight, but. Yeah. But it, and what's more, we have Batman sending Robin to do the more dangerous of the two jobs. <laughs> yeah. Know, go look at go look after this guy that's probably gonna die, and I'll go do something. Over here. What what is he doing anyway? Robin, you go over to Roger Storm's house just in case Clubfoot should decide to go prowling tonight. And does right. he say what he's doing? No. No. Well he goes to find the he goes to Wards. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Maybe. still it's the less dangerous of the two. Yeah. Clubfoot's gonna be at the place Robin goes to. Um, and I'm not sure why he sent him to Rogers. Rather than Carl's or Tommy's or Porsche's. I don't know. Because all of them were potential targets. It just seems like a lucky guess. Maybe he doesn't like Robin. <laughs> He's regretting this whole, you know, ward thing. I don't know. I guess. 
But nice shot of Clubfoot plowing through the grass after Robin. Yes. I like that. Just a close-up of his feet, and there's a little caption. You know, you could really feel the horror movie in that particular scene. Oh, yeah. Very cool. I think a lot of these Golden Age stories would read well in black and white, too. I don't think... Yeah. You know, you can can picture them as like a black and white Mm -hmm. film. Right, right. So the real Clubfoot is found, which I liked, because we actually get to see Batman finding somebody and learning things, I guess, as opposed to just coming in at the end and having and explaining everything to us. He is actually having things explained to him for once, which is kind of cool. And the fake... Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, but as far as a mystery goes, it's not a mystery because there was no... We had lots of suspects, but no reason to right. believe that any of them were Clubfoot because there right. was no reason to believe that Clubfoot wasn't really Clubfoot. True. I mean, they even gave Clubfoot a, a motive for wanting the family dead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, we have Finger... Trying to do a mystery and trying to line up the pieces, but he's just not getting it really. But that said, that that is kind of why I like the explanation of of the lawyer, or you know, as far as his motivation and how he went about things, it all made a lot of good sense. Oh yeah, it makes sense, but um, it's not not for Batman doing the, te- the the detective work. I mean, no, he didn't he didn't figure out that there was a fake clubfoot. Right. Well, I mean, he did because he found the real one but he had no suspicion by accident yeah right he he didn't take some prints and go this isn't a real club foot or you know anything like that <laughs> right so, i don't know how he would have figured it out but some way the last couple panels feel very adam west and burt ward kind of to me the dialogue Mm-hmm. but he is he has been ending his stories much quicker um you know the bad guy gets defeated and one or two panels later it's over right where before we were getting like an entire page of <laughs> as many thoughts as he could put in, you know. Uh-huh. He, so maybe maybe he so figured he's out. Yeah. yeah, he's learning. Do you know if Finger did any writing before he got into comics? Um, I don't believe I've ever read that. I think he okay. he had the same cruddy job as Bob Kane. Okay. Um, they were just you know working in, I think I want to say shoes, but. I could be wrong hmm. about that one. Don't quote me on that, but something something like that, some sort of labor, and then Bob's like, "Forget this. I want to draw." And he he knew Finger from school or something. Okay. Um, yeah, this was okay. I guess I was really into it until about two thirds of the way in, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of lost interest. I mean, we've seen worse, but once Batman figured out things that I figured out back on page two, it's. It was kind of over for me, and I really didn't care anymore. I just wanted it to be over. Yeah, that didn't do much for me either. I mean, um, I didn't see the, the lawyer thing coming, so they got me on that. But like you said, we had no indication that Clubfoot wasn't Clubfoot. So right. how could we see that it was somebody else? So uh, Two reprints for this. First in, well, like the others, have been in uh, Batman, The Dark Knight Archives, Archives, Volume 1, and then in Batman Chronicles, Volume 2. And then after that, we have a one-page ad for Detective Comics number 43, which is very cool. And then we have a one-page uh, humor strip called Little Billy Pelican. His bill holds more than his belly can. And it's by, <laughs> by Hal Sherman. And then we have some fantastic facts by George Papp that I don't feel like reading right now, so we'll skip that. And then lastly, we have... Another Batman story. The case. You don't. Want, you don't want to read about the heart of the snake that can keep beating 
for 24 hours after it's been decapitated? No, I don't even think these are real facts. <laughs> I bet they just make this stuff up. They wouldn't make stuff up in a comic book. What are you talking about? Yeah, probably not. Uh, the last story is The Case of the Missing Link. It's 13 pages. Mm-hmm. It's by Bill Finger and pencils by Bob Kane. Inks by Jerry Robinson and George Rousseau. And letters by George Rousseau. And it starts out, When Professor Drake returned from darkest Africa, he brought with him a strange alien being whose very existence was to seal his doom and was to send the Batman and Robin, the boy wonder, deep into a labyrinth of adventure and intrigue. Into the case of the missing link. Uh, We start with action as Batman leaps from a bridge and lands on top of a moving train. As he races across the slippery rooftop, an arrow suddenly hisses by his head and he is charged by ten African pygmies. Uh, Batman dodges the next slung arrow and then knocks two pair off the train, one after the other. As the remaining three draw their bows, Batman suddenly dives onto his stomach just in time as the train passes under a low bridge, knocking the remaining pygmies off the roof. Swinging into an open baggage car, Batman confronts more pygmies who are attacking an elderly gentleman. Gentleman. Blocking their arrows with the man's luggage, Batman bangs the pygmies' heads together and tosses them out the car. Batman then explains to the elderly man, who is quite surprised to see Batman, that he happened to see the pygmies running along the top of a train as it passed by him, and decided a train full of pygmies must mean something weird was going on, so he decided to investigate. (laughs) And hey, he's not wrong. Okay, grateful, the elderly man introduces himself as Professor Drake and then shows Batman what the pygmies were after as he opens a crate to reveal a towering monstrous hulk wearing leopard skin. Professor Drake explains to Batman that this hulkish man, who he calls Goliath, is the last known prehistoric missing link, which he found in Africa being worshipped by pygmies, who have been hunting him ever since he stole their god to to bring back to the States. Drake then explains that he has won over and tamed Goliath through various psychological methods, and that he plans to teach him to speak English and to be civilized. Batman surmises that the publicity will be considerable once the newspapers learn the fact of this case, and he proves to be right. For the next day, the headlines all read about the fantastic story of Goliath. Two circus owners, Hackett and Sneed, read the paper and decide Goliath is just the kind of attraction that, circus, that their circus needs to compete with the rival circus's gorilla exhibit. But when Hackett and Sneed approach Drake about this idea, they are thoroughly rejected by the professor, who cannot believe they'd have the nerve to put Goliath on display like some common animal. Dejected, but still convinced they need Goliath, Hackett and Sneed decide to call some of the boys to deal with Drake permanently. Meanwhile, Batman visits Drake to check in and learns of his visit with Hackett and Sneed. Deciding they may prove dangerous for Drake and Goliath, Batman tells Drake he'll be sending Robin by to guard them should there be any trouble. That night, Hackett and Sneed's boys, led by a man named Grimes, sneak into Drake's house and shoot him in the head while he's sleeping. They then place the gun in Drake's hand and leave a fake note, making the scene look like a suicide. Robin, having just arrived for his assignment and having heard a gunshot, spot the men attempting to flee the scene. Engaging them, he is quickly joined by Goliath, who has heard the shot and fears for his master's safety. Upon seeing Goliath running towards them, Grimes and his men flee in their car, but not before Goliath gets a good look at Grimes' face. Robin returns home to report the events to Bruce, who decides they need to wait to make their next move, because there's no way to prove Drake didn't commit suicide without revealing their identities to the police. Meanwhile, Hackett and Sneed 
raking the dough with their new attraction, a very docile and tame Goliath who is shut down mentally after having found his master, Professor Drake, dead the night before. But when Goliath spots Grimes in the crowd, a flip is switched and suddenly he becomes the ferocious beast, a ferocious beast out for revenge. Easily bending his prison bars, Goliath paves his way through the circus crowd, sweeping everything in his path until he gets to Grimes. Grabbing the thug by his legs, Goliath picks Grimes up with one hand and smashes his head into a pole. Uh, now thoroughly crazed, Goliath plows through the circus crowds, knocking over animal crates and freeing dangerous beasts who join in the mayhem. Batman and Robin arrive on the scene, just in time to subdue a freed lion with a nearby net, preventing the beast from attacking an innocent bystander. Then Robin leaps to the back of a stampeding elephant, using a trainer stick to calm the beast down and bring it to a halt. As Robin dismounts the subdued elephant, Goliath suddenly appears from behind and grabs the boy Wonder, tossing him into the air. But Robin saves himself from a crushing death by reaching out and managing to grab a trapeze. Uh, enraged that Robin survived his toss, Goliath begins to climb the girder support, supporting where Robin landed. But as he makes his way to the top and begins stumbling towards Robin, Batman enters the fray and lassos Goliath from behind with his silken rope. But Goliath pulls on the rope, knocking Batman off the support beam. As Batman dangles helplessly, Goliath begins pulling the rope and Batman up towards him. Robin gets out his trusty sling and decides to reenact the story of David and Goliath, flinging a steel pellet and knocking Goliath in the head. As both Batman and the Beast tumble to the ground below, Batman saves himself by reaching out and grabbing onto a low-hanging trapeze. Goliath is not so lucky, however, and hits the ground with a sickening thug. Batman and Robin pause to lament the creature's death and then take off before the crowds arrive on the scene. The next day, back at home, Bruce and Dick read a paper explain explaining that before dying, Grimes confessed to killing Drake and how Hackett and Sneed hired him to do it, and that Hackett and Sneed were taken into custody. Bruce then mulls over the irony of Professor Drake wanting to make a man out of a beast when he forgot that there are men who are beasts, like Hackett and Sneed. The end. Very cool opener. Yes. Um, right into the action, I like it. We don't see that too much. I, I don't think Batman should be able to jump onto a moving train, but yeah, I, I really like these opening pages that uh, finger just throws you right into the action in the yeah. sequence. Yeah, I don't know that. I, that didn't even occur to me. Maybe you're right, but that's just such an action hero staple. Mm -hmm. You know, James Bond does all kinds of stuff he can't do, but <laughs> he can do it. Batman can do it. Now, does this opening bother you like the one to what was it, Detective Comics number thirty-one? No. 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 Okay. And I I think it's because. I don't think in number 31 he explains what the hell he's doing. Or how he figured out what he's doing, I guess. Okay. Whereas this one, you know, it's, I guess not a big explanation, but he's just, he sees a train full of pygmies and decides, <laughs> that can't be good. The coolest line of the issue, when the Batman sees African pygmies walking on top of a railroad car, it means something queer is going on. That's right. There you go. Uh, but apparently we have to bring our kill count back. Yes, as he's knocking. See, on this page, he knocks uh, at least three people off of a moving train, mm -hmm. and then he throws two more off on page four. Yep. And I guess you could say they're not dead, but and I think if you get thrown off a moving train, you're probably going to die. Especially if you're on a moving train and you get hit by a low bridge. Yeah, you're not going to live. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
the the low bridge thing was very Looney Tunes, but it, mm-hmm. I think it worked the way Dude. he did it here. Yeah, it was cool. I liked it, and I liked the uh, using the luggage to block arrows and all that fun stuff. Yeah, that was that was a nice bit using it as a shield, and he hurls it at the guy mm-hmm. using it as a weapon. So that was pretty yep. cool. Yeah, it was all very fast paced, very fun. It's like I could watch him do that all day, really. Yeah, it's good stuff. So then we're introduced to Goliath mm-hmm. with his gland problem. <laughs> that, was, that was so like just dismissive. Like, yeah, yeah, he just has a gland problem or something. <laughs> right. Um, Batman's like, um, I'm not sure this is the missing link. Oh, no, 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 it's just glands. Okay. <laughs> but then we get to page five, and I really dislike... Batman's response in page five because he's very complacent towards Drake who just admitted to killing a bunch of innocent people kidnapping a guy and locking him in a box yep and you can call Goliath a savage or a hulk or a giant or whatever but he's clearly not a threat or he wasn't where he was Mm -hmm. and if the pygmies thought he was a god then they were taking care of him and he's obviously well fed and clothed yep yeah I think Drake's a huge jerk um, but that's also from my modern sensibilities, and this is 1940, where it was okay to kidnap people and where, lock them in a box. Where white and civilized was always right over, you know, indigenous people or animals okay. or whatever. You know, I mean, that's just the mentality here. Even Batman even goes right along with it. It's like, well, they're African pygmies. Of course, they're wrong. You know. Haha! I mean, well, I showed them. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, if we had found the missing link somewhere living. We would absolutely try our best not to interfere, you know, and see. I would hope so, yeah. You know, I mean, we'd obviously study it and try and record it and document it, but we would also want to see how it lived in its natural environment and leave it alone, you know, to the best of our ability. Um, You know, tag it and then let it go. So maybe, I don't know, missing link, maybe not. But anyway, it wouldn't be so cavalier as as this is. I would hope not, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty squeamish. Um, page six. I don't really get how Hackett and Sneed killing Professor Drake automatically get them Goliath. You would think the missing link would be so important that scientists would be lined up out the door to own this guy. I assumed that they probably faked a contract. Yeah. I mean, they faked a suicide note, so... Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Could have been that, yeah. I don't know, it just seems like the missing link has got to be the biggest find... <laughs> you know, ever. Yeah. And and no one, other than Drake, no one cares. No one's studying him. No one's, I don't know, whatever. And one more time, we have, I think for the fifth time in this episode, we have Batman doing sending Robin to do something incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. And But this time we have the inc- added layer of jerkiness because Bruce just stays home and does nothing. <laughs> or had something else to do and didn't bother telling us what it was, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, they seem very – and Robin doesn't even show up on time, so – or <laughs> Right. And maybe no. I should just stop complaining about that, but it, it – God, it really bugs me that they just keep – you know, we have lazy Batman and Batman sending Robin into danger and – Well, I mean it makes Robin look cool, but yeah, every time they do it, it makes Batman look not cool, so. Right. And it's, it's Legends of the Batman, not Legends of Robin, so. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe they'll figure out a way to better delegate this in the future. Um, notice that uh, Drake's head shooting happens off panel. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if that's an Ellsworth thing or if they would have done that. They probably wouldn't have done that even with Sullivan, but I don't think even in this pre-code era they were probably too yeah on showing a guy's head exploding. Yeah. And, and his head's still there after the fact too, so. Right. Yeah, he doesn't look like a guy that got shot in the head. But um, but they shot him in his sleep, which was pretty hardcore, I thought. Yeah. Although kind of nice too, I guess. At least the guy didn't suffer. Goliath's, Goliath's reaction to his master's death? Yes. Really, really sad. Mm-hmm. And we have Bruce. We'll have to bite our time. Well, <sighs> yeah. Heaven forbid you go do anything. You know, there's been a murder, but heaven forbid. Well, and I don't even care about Hackett and Sneed at this point. You know Robin just leaves Goliath home. Right. With his dead master. At this point, they all ran away. So Goliath's there by himself. You could take Goliath home with you or hide him somewhere or use your vast fortune to buy him or whatever it takes. I don't know. Do something to protect the poor guy. But if they had the con, well, you probably couldn't buy him because if they faked the contract or yeah. faked the will, I guess, because in the newspaper there it says uh, that uh, Drake killed himself and leaves the ape man to the hack of circus. Oh, I totally missed that. So, that so they faked more the sense. will, which again was read very quickly because right. it's the next morning after the murder. So, yeah. Well, they could have at least hided him then. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's the point of eating a vigilante if you, if you don't go against Wills once in a while? <laughs> right. Um, Bruce telling Robin that they can't go to the police seems kind of significant, but mm-hmm. I can't really pinpoint why. It's the first time they kind of talk about their secret identities. and Right. That could be it. Other than that one time when he was almost unmasked. Um, in Batman number one. In Batman number one, yeah. Really, really love the way Grimes dies. <laughs> it's kind of morbid, I guess, but um, it's just very sad. When he slams him against the pole, yeah, that's yeah. pretty. That's really cool. Um, I don't. I'm not really sure what brought Batman and Robin out to play. I guess it was just news of Goliath wrecking a circus, maybe. Or they were keeping track of him. Yeah, maybe they were in the audience or something. Mm-hmm. That's actually nice, maybe. So maybe instead of assuming that they just left poor Goliath to his fate, they at least were keeping an eye on him or something. I don't know. Right. Love that uh, Robin calms this elephant down. Yeah. I can only assume that's stuff he picked up at the circus, but... Could be. I mean, it doesn't say that, but... We have four pages here of all this circus stuff. Five pages, really, Mm -hmm. but not one mention of Robin's circus background. No. That was kind of odd. Right. But you all, I mean, at least I am. I'm always thinking about that stuff. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just when he jumps on that elephant and taps it down, taps it with a little trainer stick and calms it down, I was just like, oh, yeah, he'd done that before. <laughs> okay, page 13. I'm calling this a kill. Yeah. he was pretty clearly trying to knock Goliath off the girder. Yeah. So. Yeah, interesting. They're, they're putting a kibosh on on uh, Batman and Robin killing, but it's still cool for him to kill giant beast things, and it's cool for him to kill African pygmies. Just not civilized people, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. And Batman says he was the... He was just like a big kid, and yes, he was the equivalent of a child. A child who got, you know, watched his caretakers get slaughtered and then get abducted and locked in a box and taken to another continent. Yeah. Another... another villain, and I say that with quotes, that I was really sorry to see die, so... 
Wait, that's that's true. Wasn't really the villain. No, Goliath's he not wasn't. He's not, but he was the. That's why I said with quotes. He's he was you a know. Threat maybe, but not the villain. Nope. But Finger must have been a, a big King Kong fan because mm-hmm. this is the second story with a heavy King Kong vibe, and yeah. I think this one's even stronger than the last. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This was a. I like the very beginning of this story a lot, and Goliath was very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of frustration. What's really weird is after I was done reading it, I actually thought this might make a better Golden Age Superman story for some reason. Oh yeah. I'm not sure why I say that, but it hmm. just it just feels like a Golden Age Superman story to me. Hmm. I don't know. I didn't really pick up on that. I'm at the uh, tail end of 1939 now in the stories I'm looking at, and it, it doesn't really fit there. Maybe maybe a little later. I don't know. Get in the mid 40s, but. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, just just okay. You know, I, I had a big beef with Batman's reaction to Goliath's abduction, and that kind of soured the whole story for me. I think. But. Yeah, and that's just us putting our modern sensibility on it. But you know, what else are we gonna do? Yeah. Um. But I love the quote about Batman seeing African pygmies on the railroad car. So. <laughs> yeah. They almost made up for it. Yeah, that'd be a good uh, T-shirt or something. Um. So. One more thing. We haven't really mentioned it much through the episode, but it seems like Batman and Robin have pretty much both settled into their looks now. Yeah. Aside from Batman's ears, which changed a little bit, we haven't really seen too much change in either one of them for several stories now. Yeah. So I guess we finally hit a plateau on that. Yeah, so that's good, though. Um, If you want to read this story, it's reprinted the same place as the last story. You got... uh, Batman The Dark Knight Archives, Volume 1 Hardcover, and Batman Chronicles, Volume 2. And after that, we got a one-page ad plug-in New York's New York World's Fair Comics 1940 issue, which we already covered two episodes ago, I think. Maybe more? I don't know. Uh, And after that, we got a two-page comic bit called His Royal Highness by Hal Sherman, and the Big Six Comics Magazine ad again that we've talked about many times. And that's it for the issue. Cool. Um, on the back, there is an ad for Red Rider Carbine BB gun, which I thought Let's was pretty cool. shoot your eye out. shoot your eye out. That's it. So any thoughts on Batman number two as a whole? I would say Batman number one was way stronger way by far. Way better, yeah. Um, my favorite story, I think, was poor Adam Lamb and his his alternate personality. And again, that's just because it really felt like a Batman villain to me. Right. I think that was the best story we looked at this episode, period. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, the Joker and Catwoman was pretty cool, too, though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, kind of a lackluster outing for our second issue. Yeah, they can't all be winners. Nope. So, um, other than... Detective Comics number 42 and Batman number 2. Other books on the stands, we had More Fun Comics number 58. We had Adventure Comics number 53, where the Hourman strip introduces Jimmy, Minuteman Martin, and the Minutemen of America, a group of kids who Hourman enlists to aid him in his fight against crime. And they will make regular appearances in the book for a while. So we have more heroes getting sidekicks. Then we had 
Superman number six with four brand new Superman stories, including one that introduces a Sergeant Casey, who will become a recurring character in Superman stories for the next I don't know, three years or so. We had Flash Comics number nine with a very cool Hawkman cover by Sheldon Moldoff. We had All American Comics number 18, and the Green Lantern story in that is set at the World's Fair, mm. which is the first World's Fair centric story that I'm aware of outside of the two World's Fair comics. Huh. That's and then we, we had a, in this same issue, we had a red, white, and blue story called A Trip to Cobra Island, which, being a child of the 80s, just made me think of G.I. Joe. Yeah. And then we had um, Action Comics number 28, and outside of DC, we had Smash Comics number 14, which was a quality book that featured the first appearance of the Ray. Ooh, okay. And that's it. Cool. So you got anything else for July? July 1940 has been tackled. We are over halfway through 1940 now. Yep. Going too fast. Yep. But um, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have questions or comments, etc., you can email us at podcast at batmanlegends.com. You can also head on over to the website at batmanlegends.com, where there's a contact form as well as show notes. At the website, you will also find a link to the show's Facebook page and Twitter feed, the RSS feed, and the iTunes link. We also invite you to check out Michael and I's other podcasts, my solo show is called The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which you can find at www.greatcrypton.com. And then Michael has a show which he co-hosts with John Wilson, which is called The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast. And you can find that at themightyshield.com. We also invite you to check out our uh, new partners, Gotham Knights Online, which is an excellent resource for all things Batman, from comic books to media and merchandise and more. And you can find that at GothamKnightsOnline.com. Next episode, we will be looking at just one comic, Detective Comics number 43. So until then, we will see you later. See you next week. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and his copyright DC Comics. <laughs> <laughs>